so we had a very interesting fellowship last night. Fellowship, everybody was kind of busy, we thought. And so we went over just to visit just uh, uh, the core family. But it ended up being just six of us last night. And it was a completely divine appointment. Yah had orchestrated yesterday really quite beautifully. And it turned out to be such a blessing for us. And, um, and for the things that are happening here. And I, I have to admit that what's happening now, of course, is very alarming. Uh, I came on some prophecy last night that really kind of shocked me. Um, you know, you, you read the same passage over and over again. We're told many things. This is what it means. And oftentimes we don't get it right. In fact, like Revelation, for instance, has been a real eye opener. Once we understand that the, the Bible is really about DNA, you know, from gene says Genesis all the way through the gen, the gene orations uh, to uh, Revelation and the 144,000, what that means, all the implications of that. I had no idea until we got into where we are today. And suddenly we see the sorcery of pharmacia on us doing crazy things. And now it's amazing to me, really quite amazing that it's continuing, even though it's been exposed for what it is. And yet people are now openly embracing it as a good idea. And uh, so that strikes me as really uh, inordinate. But it's a crazy time. And part of the reason it's a crazy time is because Yah has placed a hook in the jaw of Gog and Magog. And he is dragging Gog and Magog into destruction. And that's what's happening. And uh, okay, I'm still admitting people here as we go. And so when we look at this, I was I thought, hmm, well, this is very interesting. And then we have this crazy prophecy, you guys might recall it, the crazy prophecy of the king of the north, right? The king of the north. And people say, well, we know who the king of the north is. Well, do we? I mean, it strikes me that if you're going to be talking about the king of the north, that the first quality that this person should hold is being a king. Not a president, not a prime minister, but a king. And I think when we look at that, we find out that we're dealing with somebody different. And also when you see king, you know, it's very interesting because king is this word melek, which is spelled the same as malak, which means messenger and oftentimes construed as angel. But Melech is king, but there's another word that signifies the ultimate real ruler in the land, a human ruler. When we talk about a godly ruler, you talk about Aleph. But when you talk about a carnal ruler, you're talking about not the ox head, but the human head, or what they call the Rosh, the Rosh. And so the prophecy that kind of emerges out of Ezekiel 38 is one that I had no idea was going to be as revealing as it is. But now 
in the modern world. They can see it very clearly. And now seeing it very clearly, I've got a pretty good idea who Gog and Magog are as well. And so who knew? That's all I can tell you. But we will be revealing that. I think I'm going to be revealing that on Thursday, assuming we get to Thursday, which given the current circumstances is a rather large assumption. The, um, but today's teaching, when we get into the Torah portion today, I'm kind of going to kind of take it backwards because I want to go through the Haftarah and the Besarah portion first. And then we'll come back and review the uh, Torah portion. And uh, part of the reason I want to do this is because this has been kind of my own walk, really. Uh, because when we talk about um, learning scripture, many of us grew up in what we would call a New Testament environment. There, there were some of us that grew up in an Old Testament environment. But most of us grew up in a New Testament environment. And where we were taught the stories of the New Testament and how these stories related to our theology and our ultimate theology and our ultimate understanding of what was happening in Scripture. And as I looked at what I understood of Scripture, what I understood of the New Testament, I got to thinking, well, okay, what do all these things mean? Because really, truly, the gospel makes very outrageous claims very outrageous claims. The New Testament makes very outrageous claims. Claims of raising from the dead, claims of miraculous healing, walking on water, claims of the resurrection, claims of ascension, claims of translation, right? When the book of Hebrews starts talking about Enoch being translated, I mean, these kinds of things, you know, the kinds of claims that are made in the New Testament are so much more dramatic than the claims made in the Old Testament. And so I wanted to see where do these guys get these ideas? What's the record? And can we understand what Paul is talking about? And you can't really without a full understanding of the Old Testament. And what I've since come to learn is that you can't understand the New Testament entirely without the reading of the entirety of the Old Testament, the Apocrypha, and even the extra books. I mean, when Martha looks at the Messiah and says, I know that we will all be resurrected at the last day, where did she get that information? Where did she get that information? She didn't get it from Psalm 71. Now, some people have said, well, you can kind of pull it out of Job, or you can pull it out of here, pull it out of there. But the explicit teaching is from 2nd Baruch, 4th Ezra, from the book of Hanok. And when Paul makes the claim and says, hmm, the Sadokim do not believe in the resurrection, nor angels, nor the Ruach, well, What's this tell you? It's, that means the Sadokim had never read or did not understand or did not believe the book of Hanok. Because it's all about that. And so we can see that the writings, there were many, many writings that were being read at the time of the New Testament when Jude references 
the fallen angels, when Peter references the fallen angels, it's very clear they had, they had they were referencing the book of Enoch. And then Jude says that the that Satan disputed over the body of Moshe. Where did he get that idea? Where did he get that word? And so you can see that, uh, and of course, now we find out that the book of Jasher is also extremely revealing. And I can I now understand why the book of Jasher has been suppressed. Because the book of Jasher actually reveals Gog and Magog. And again, I did not know this. I mean, I have to tell you, I did not know this. And so what we see is something quite different in that prophecy. But I'm not going to go through it today. I'm going to go through it on Thursday. We'll be talking about this. And it's going to be very enlightening, I think. Controversial, I'm sure. There'll be many people who will say, eh, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. But fortunately, we let people make those kind of comments on the dig. You know, hey, well, you're off your rocker, you know. Uh, but today's teaching, today's Torah portion and teaching includes the 10 Devarim. And the 10 Devarim, I want to say this to you, I'm going to be going through this this upcoming week on Radio Free Alaska. The 10 Devarim are the foundation of all human rights. Okay, there is no government that gives you any human right. The government does not give you a human right. A government can recognize pre-existing human rights, but the government gives you nothing. The government is either righteous or it's unrighteous. And if a government is righteous, it lives under the Ten Commandments and recognizes the authority thereof. If it's unrighteous, it doesn't. It's pure and simple. And when you look at the notion of Anki Yawa Elohechem, I am Yahweh, your Elohim. You shall have no other Elohim before me. That's a very straightforward phrase. And that phrase means that you have one judge, one lawgiver, and one king. Every, anyone else, any other human being on earth who has to get up and put their pants on one leg at a time has no authority over you at all unless that authority is given to them by Yah and that they are in compliance with the fact that he is our judge, he is our lawmaker, and he is our king. Any law, any rule, any ordinance, any statute, any command that is given that disagrees with what is in the written word is not lawful. It may be legal, but it's not lawful because it is anathema to scripture. It is a regimen of death and will most certainly die out. It may not die out today. It may not die out tomorrow. It may last 400 years, but ultimately it will be a bringer a harbinger of death, a bringer of death, and will die. Now, you have people everywhere in the Western world now 
erecting laws that are contrary to scripture. In fact, they're saying that scripture is now anathema to their law. Or where they get their law? What's the source of their law? Their source of their law is a different Elohim. It's a different Elohim. And because it's a different Elohim, they have erased, they have erected an idol before Yah. They have erected a God before Yah. And because they've erected a God before Yah, the blessings of Yah disappear. They go away. He is not going to bless your worship of disparate Elohim, period. Very important to understand this. So when we talk about, I am Yahweh, your Elohim, thou shalt have no other gods before me, no other Elohim before me. This is something that has to be in our heart, mind, and soul, because this is the fundamental worship of Yah. Now, when we see that this has to be in our heart, mind, and soul, then we have to question every rule that is before us. Well, I'm telling you that you have to put your children in public school. Does that say that anywhere in scripture? No. I'm telling you, your children have to be vaccinated. Really? Show me any verse, anywhere, in any, any book you can find, scripture or extra scriptural, that says you shall take a needle and inject something into your body. Show me that. Show me that verse anywhere. And instead, Yah gives us a completely different protocol under which we are to live. And the protocol we are to live, now to give you an example, many people believe in the, that the Bill of Rights protects life, liberty, and property. Because in the Fifth Amendment, it says, no life, liberty, or property may be taken. Except, except when we take it. And when we take your life, liberty, or your property, the right you have is not a right to life, liberty, or property. It's a right to due process. And sometimes that due process is we arrested you, put you in a boxcar, and your process is to go from here to Auschwitz. So where do we get this right to life? The right to life springs from thou shalt not kill. The right to property springs from thou shalt not steal. The right to a day of rest springs from thou shalt guard the Shabbat and keep it. The essential freedoms of life spring from the Ten Commandments. So when a pastor tells you, you're not under the law, which Paul meant you weren't born under the law. You were born under a different teaching. And many of you may experience that in your own life. Gee, Sabbath is kind of inordinate for me. It's unusual for me. I wasn't born under this protocol. I was born under a Sunday worship. This is what he's talking about. You weren't born under this law. You were born under pagan rituals. You were born under heathen practices. For me, I am most assuredly under the Ten Devarim. I claim being under the Ten Devarim. 
Because if I am not under the 10 Devarim, then I have no right to life. I have no right to property. I have no right to my marriage, sent the sanctity of my marriage. I have no right to the sanctity of my reputation. I have no right to be free from idol worship. I have no right to the Shabbat. I have no right to honor my mother and my father. And I am subject to any other Elohim that anybody else wants to impose upon me because I am not under the law. But when I am under the law, and I say these commands handwritten by Yah himself apply to me because Yah is my Elohim, I am his child. Then because I have taken this and have come under this yoke and this burden, his protections now apply to me. Because I have said, thou shalt not kill is the word of Yah himself. Not bendable, not amendable, not changeable, not subject to modification or watering down. He said it. I am under it. And what we see in the Torah portion today, what did Yasharel say? What did the children of Yasharel say? All that he has said, we shall do. All that he has said, we shall do. And so we become a peculiar people to Yah, a peculiar people. And we're going to see that as the coming judgment comes, to Gog and Magog, only one-sixth of the people who are in Gog and Magog are going to survive what's coming upon Gog and Magog. And only one-tenth of the people are going to survive what's going to happen in this upcoming conflagration. Who will we be? Will we be those that are protected under the wing of Yahweh or not? And again, this is why these premises are so incredibly important to us. And I don't know, I mean, you know, I've had this understanding for a long time, and this understanding was given to me by an atheist of all people. But even in that giving, and this is where I really came to, you know, I had a falling out with my atheist friends when I was in my 20s. And this is how I fell out. You understand these premises, but you are unwilling to acquiesce and to give obeisance to he who created you. And that, in my opinion, is insufficient in life. It's insufficient. Because we want to say, oh, these we hold these truths to be self-evident. Really? We hold them to be self-evident. Let me tell you what the scriptures say. Yah is self-evident. The heavens declare the glory of Yah. Yah is self-evident. That's what is self-evident. And for you to sit around and say that you think you have a handle on reality when you're ignoring the most self-evident thing there is means you've missed something in a big way. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for this morning. This 
this beautiful Shabbat day, Father. Thank you for blessing it with your kindness, with your mercy, and with your graciousness. We praise you in all things this morning, God, knowing that your hand is at work to destroy the wickedness of the world. Father, we who are in the garden look out and see both the wheat and the tares, not understanding the total mystery, but knowing that your judgment is righteous in all things. Who is like you and who can advise you or command you? You have made all these things in preparation for the revealing of the great mystery that belongs to you, Father. We see it unfolding before our very eyes now. And we give thanks that you have called us into your family. By your grace, we are here. By your grace, we see you. By your grace, we know you. By your grace, we have ears that can hear and eyes that can see. We don't know why you chose us, Father, but in your good mercy, you did. And so here we are to praise you this morning, to say, our King lives. May your glory be forever, Yahweh, before us, upon us, within us, and over this land. And may your name be raised up, even over the wicked, Father. May your name be made known to the great King of Gog and Magog. May your name be known to the wickedness of Pharaoh. May your name be known to those who transgress and who call themselves gods. May your name be known. Father, we praise you for this teaching today. Thank you for putting it before us. Bless our time together, Father. Bless our time together. That we who gather together in the name of Yahweh might be filled with your Ruach HaKodesh as we engage in this study today, and that you might carry us through this week with your blessing. May we be a blessing unto you, O Yahweh. In the name of Yahusha, we lift our prayers to you this morning. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for this, brother. Okay. Let's drop into the Haftarah portion in Yeshayahu, Isaiah 6.1. One of my favorite passages in Isaiah. Of course, I love the book of Isaiah, just generally speaking. And uh, But this passage is something that really resonated in my heart, has resonated in my heart for many, many, many years. Now, I'm going to um, admit someone. Now, here, if we get into uh, a place where people are gathering in the waiting room, let me know, okay? And yeah, we'll drop into that. Okay, let's see. Where is? Here we go. Here's our tour portion here. Let me share screen. Okay, you guys can see that, I hope. Okay. In the year King Uziyahu died, I also saw Adonai sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh Tzavahot. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh Tzavahot. 
Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of Adonai saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here I am, send me. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Then said I, Adonai, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate, and Yahweh have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a tail tree, as an oak whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Uh, great teaching. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Yotham, the son of Uziyahu, the king of Yehudah, that Retzin, the king of Aram, and Pechach, the son of Remaliahu, the king of Yasharel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Aram is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved, and the heart of his people as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Then said Yahweh unto El Yishayahu, Go forth now to meet Achaz, you, and Shear Yashuv, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of Fuller's field. And he said unto him, Take heed and be quiet, fear not, neither be faint-hearted, for the two tails of these smoking firebrands were the fierce anger of Retzin with Aram and of the son of Ramaliahu. Because Aram, Ephraim, and the son of Ramaliahu have taken evil counsel against you, saying, Let us go up against Yahudah and vex it. Let us make a breach therein for us and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. For every battle of the warrior is confused with noise and the garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with the burning and fuel of fire. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, El Gibor, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. The Shah. And the, and the beautiful is wonderful. Yes. Yes. What's interesting to me, strikes me very interesting, that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called the everlasting father. Unto us a son is born, 
who will be called the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Okay, Matit Yahu. This is the Besserah portion, Matit Yahu 6.1. Phenomenal teaching from Mashiach here. Take heed that you do not do your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father, which is in heaven. Therefore, when you do your alms, do not sound a shofar before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have the glory of men. Amen, I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you do alms, let not your left hand know what your right hand does, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father, which sees in secret himself, shall reward you openly. Now, this is obviously metaphorical language. Your left hand does not possess singular knowledge about what your right hand does. What he's talking about is that when you give, you're not to be looking at this thing with some kind of self-rewarding cognizance. Oh, gee, uh, I did this. That makes me a great person. On and on and on and on. No. No, that's not it at all. What he's talking about is do not bring this into your consciousness that uh, that you you constitute some kind of self-reward. That's what he's talking about. It's metaphorical language. And when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and at the corners of the streets that they may may be seen of men. Well, anybody who's ever been to Jerusalem knows that if there's one thing people love to do, it's to be seen praying at the Wailing Wall, you know, at the Kotel. We'll all hang out here for hours praying. Everybody knows that I'm a great prayer warrior. But Yasha says, no, don't be like that. Amen, I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you pray, enter into your closet. Now, do you also think that he's talking about, you know, going into the closet you have there in the living room where you keep your coats and that's where you're supposed to pray? Do you think that's it? No, that's not it. What is the prayer closet he's talking about? Right? The prayer closet he's talking about is enter into your private space and where you shut your door and you're praying. You're in your private space and you're praying. Now, there are some people who believe the prayer closet is actually the, the talit. That you would cover your head with the talit and this would be your prayer closet. Well, It's possible, but the main thing to understand is that you are to pray to your father in secret. And when your father, which sees in secret, shall reward you openly. Now, I believe that you can pray in secret uh, even when you're you're in public, even when you're in a public space, you can pray pray in secret. You can close your eyes and pray at any time. When you're in a restaurant, when you're in a grocery store, when you're driving, when you're on a bus, when you're when you're around your friends, you can close your eyes and pray. And then you are praying in secret, and when your father sees it in secret, he shall reward you openly. But when ye pray, don't use vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for much. Speaking, <laughs> what a great word this is, right? 
if we go over and over and over again, Lord, hear my prayer, uh, and Lord, don't forget to hear my prayer, and Lord, my prayer is, Lord, that you would, Lord, hear my prayer, Lord. And then, of course, what is the teaching of the catechism of the church? Well, go out there and say uh, eight Hail Marys and three Our Fathers, repeating with repetition the same vain words over and over again until you finally get the message there, you both. Well, you can see that this is anathema. This is not a proper practice. That the proper practice is not to use vain repetitions. Well, we recite the 18 paragraphs of the Amidah eight every morning. Well, okay, but that's a vain repetition. Or we're going to read prayers out of the Seder Olam. And these prayers we're going to say with repetition over and over. Well, and even the prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer, or the Our Father Prayer, is not to be used as repetition. It's a model. It is a model that is given to us. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knows what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Now, is come on, guys, in your own prayer life, isn't this the truth? Isn't this the truth in your own prayer life? You know that Yah knows what you need. He knows exactly what you need. He knows who you are. He knows what you're up against. He knows your difficulties. He knows everything. And it makes no difference if you pray in tongues, if you pray in English, if you pray in, pray in German, if you pray in Mandarin. It makes no difference. He knows what is in your heart. He knows your prayer before you utter it. What is the critical aspect of prayer then? The critical aspect of prayer is to align your ruach with his ruach and his intention in your prayer. That you're bringing your ruach in conjunction with his will for you. And in doing so, if we pay attention to what the Father is thinking, what the Father is, is hearing, what the Father is, then we learn many things. Now, let's take a look at the prayer here for a second. Therefore, after this manner, after this manner, see, he doesn't say, therefore, vainly repeat these words. No. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Well, in every church on earth, every Christian church, they pray the Our Father in repetitive language. Rather than recognizing in this manner you are to pray. Okay, so let's start with, and let's take a look at some of the aspects of this prayer. So, the first thing we see is, to whom do we petition our prayer? To whom do we lift our prayer? To the Father. To the Father. You see so many people who pray in this world, dear Jesus. Yeah. But he yeah. teaches us to lift your prayer to the Father. Which Father? The one who established salvation in the heavens. And what is the first thing we are to understand about the Father? Exalted is your name. This is the very first premise that we are to understand 
about the Father. Exalted is your name. Hallowed be your name. How is the name hallowed when it is struck through? How is the name hallowed when it is replaced? How is the name hallowed when you refuse to address him by that name? How is that hallowed? I don't understand that. So we see that the very first thing we are to understand in our prayer is that the name, the character, the authority of Yahweh is exalted. And that in our understanding of who we pray to, his name is foremost. Okay, now what? Your kingdom come. May your kingdom come on this earth. Don't we wish this even today? How, how many of you are fervently praying that his kingdom will be here like tomorrow? Maybe the next day. But the sooner is better than later. Your will be done in earth as in the heavens. For me, this is my cry. I, I want to see his will on earth. I want to see his kingdom on earth. I want to see the way he has proposed that we should live. Now, we come to that portion of the prayer that is, okay, give us, our day, give us this day our daily bread. What is our daily bread? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of Yah. This is our daily bread. It's not food. It's the word. And forgive us our transgressions. Now, again, when we look at this word, you know, a lot of times you're told, oh, and forgive us our sins or forgive us our trespasses is the word that the Catholics like to use. But the word there is peshaot, and the better understanding is transgressions. Transgressions of what? All of those of you who came out of a Pauline doctrine that you're not under the law. Well, if you're not under the law, what transgressions do you have? You can't have any transgressions because there is no sin. If there is no law, there is no sin. Right? If there is no law, there is no sin. So what transgressions are you talking about? You can't have any transgressions that need forgiveness. You don't have any transgressions because you're free of sin. You're under grace. You're completely without sin. And forgive us our transgression as we forgive those who transgress against us. Your forgiveness is directly dependent upon how you have forgiven others. And so whenever you consider this prayer, when you're, when you're contemplating your prayer, whenever you're considering this prayer, take the time to review in your own heart those people you have not forgiven. And those transgressions you have not forgiven. This is kind of what you might call a self-audit. You have to audit yourself. And you have to look and say, who have I not forgiven for the things they did to me? And you need to forgive. You need to find it in your heart to forgive. Because you want to be forgiven. Lead us away from the evil inclination. Now, many places say, lead us not into evil. Yah is not going to lead anybody into evil. 
that's not going to happen. But we will be inclined towards evil in our carnality. We pray that Yah will lead us away from that evil inclination and deliver us from the outer darkness. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, this prayer is actually modeled after a prayer in First Chronicles. First uh, Chronicles 29, and it's the prayer of David. And David, uh, I think many of you may have heard my teaching on this. David gives us a much greater instruction on this prayer. It's a, it's a more elaborate prayer talking about the powers of Yah. And it is the first place that we see Yah referred to as Father, right? I don't know if any of you have seen that prayer or if you're familiar with that prayer. Maybe I should let me let me get my um, text just a second. I'll review that with you. This is um something that we all should know in this particular group. Uh, let me find it here. Just. Yeah, let's see here. Yeah, so here it is. This is in First Chronicles uh, 29. First Chronicles 29, beginning at verse 10. Wherefore, David blessed Yahweh before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed be you, Yahweh Elohai of Yasharel, our father, forever and ever. Okay. Now, if you're looking at the text, you'll see that there it is right there. Our father. It's right there. Yours, O Yahweh, is the greatness and the power and the glory. And the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Yahweh, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of you, and you reign over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our Elohim, we thank you and praise your glorious name. You see? So you can see that this prayer was not cut out of whole cloth that was all of a sudden invented in the New Testament. But rather you see Mashiach picking out a particular prayer that is found in the Tanakh, picking out a particular prayer of David and saying, this is the model of prayer, right? And so he says what? Going back to our Bessarab portion. For if ye forgive men, their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their transgressions, neither will your Father forgive your transgressions. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Amen, I say unto you, they have their reward. 
But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that you appear not unto men to fast, but unto your father which is in secret, and your father which sees in secret shall reward you openly. Now, I have to tell you that um, I have to tell you that uh, we have been, uh, my wife and I have been engaged in a, you might call it kind of a lifestyle change, where we have been doing a lot more daily fasting. And uh, it's kind of surprising because our food content, the amount of food we eat has gone way down, way, way down. And it's very interesting. And of course, you know, one of the things that I saw in reviewing the Eastern Orthodox tradition, the Orthodox Church, one of the things the Orthodox Church teaches is fasting, 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 and fasting. There is not a month goes by that the Orthodox Church does not have fasting in the schedule. And they teach this to their congregation. And I mean, you'll never see this in it like an American Christian. Have you ever seen fasting taught as a schedule in an American Christian church? Anybody ever seen that? I've never seen that. But in the Orthodox church, they do teach that. They teach continuously uh, fasting, fasting, fasting. And why? Because, well, fasting is a uh, significant discipline. It's a significant discipline. And uh, a discipline that is really part of Yah's teaching, right? And he says, what? Do not appear to men to be fasting, but under your father, which is in secret, and your father, which sees in secret, shall reward you openly. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon the earth, where moss, moth and rust do corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust do corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye, and therefore if your eye be single, your whole body shall be full of light, not double-minded, right? But if your eye be evil, your whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two Adonim, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve both Elohim and Mammon. You know, I, I have a guy that I kind of watch on YouTube, and he is forever preaching Bitcoin. And I've been watching him lately because he looks at world events and he's like, you know, uh, world events are all falling apart. Therefore, invest in Bitcoin. But now that he sees things that they it's not just an all a cons con, uh, conspiracy theory where everybody's working together to give us a fake narrative of events. But actually, the world is actually falling apart. And yes, we're on the verge of World War Three. Well, now he's praying to Jesus, you know. Well, wait a minute. Is your deliverer the Mashiach or is it Bitcoin? Which one is your deliverer? And, and he finds, now, 
you know, you can find that you have everything else in the world, everything else. I mean, like this guy has got, you know, he's got this absolutely beautiful estate in Hawaii with his own private swimming pool. Uh, he's living, you know, he's living the paradise life. So he believes, but is it paradise? Why are you praying if your paradise was your answer? Why are you in fear if paradise was your answer? And, you know, and I have to tell you that when we look at the world today, we see a class of people. Now, you know who they are. They're in your own life. They're still running around with their mask on. When Pfizer introduces a new booster, they run out to get it. They might be on their fourth booster or on their fifth booster, but they run right out there to get it. Why? Because they're afraid. That's why. They're afraid. And that's why they do the things they do, because they have fear. Why do they have fear? Because they're not trusting in Yah. Fear is the opposite of faith. Faith is the opposite of fear. Trust in Yah and leave the rest behind. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than food and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Shalomah in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if Elohim so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Wherefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the other nations seek. For your heavenly Father knows that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of Elohim and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You know, you got your hands full with today. Stop panicking about tomorrow. You've got your hands full with today. Yeah. He continues, judge not that ye be not judged. Why does he say this? Because with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Well, that person, blah, 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 blah. Well, let's talk about you for a minute. Uh, what? Didn't you do the very same thing? And of course, we often, we often fall short, very, very short, because we have an expectation. We don't see our own transgression. And the transgression that we want to condemn in someone else, part of the reason we're so offended, because it's in our own life. And that's why we're so offended by it. We see our ugliness in them. 
And why behold you the mote that is in your brother's eye, but consider not the beam that's in your own eye? Or how will you say to your brother, let me pull out the mote out of your eye, and behold, the beam is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First cast out the beam out of your own eye, and then you shall see clearly to cast out the mote of your brother's eyes. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. And I can tell you, this was a lesson that was so hard for me to learn. You don't recognize this, but it's something that a person does need to know. You should not be wasting your time at all casting pearls before swine. They will come, and, you know, and Solomon teaches this over and over again in the Proverbs. Do not argue with a fool. Do not argue with the fool. You are wasting your time, and all he's going to do is reduce you to foolishness. Do not argue with the fool. They will turn and trample you. And so a wise person is measured with his speech. A wise person is measured with his speech. And it is better to remain silent than to talk, 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 talk. And then when you do talk, you have something to say. You have something wise to say, and you have something important to say. And you say it when someone is willing to hear it. To knock on somebody's door and start, you know, uh, uh, driving your agenda down their throat? No. You're casting your pearls before swine. But to wait until the person is seeking. Who is it that is going to hear the word of Yah? He that is seeking it. He that is not seeking it isn't going to hear a thing no matter how many times you say it to him. Okay. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Now, this is a very interesting analogy here. You see, he's got two things here on the table, bread and fish. Now, where do we see bread and fish? You see it in the feeding of the 5,000, do we not? Bread and fish. And in addition to that, this is also very good teaching in terms of uh, the kind of diet if you recall, when Mashiach comes back in his glorified body, he sits down to eat with the Talmudim. And what did they have? Bread and fish. Right? Bread and fish. But the bread and fish is allegorical because it is giving us this idea of what is food, right? Bread is the word of Yah. And the two fish kind of represented the two testaments, if you will, the two ideas that are there. And so if your son is asking for bread, you're going to give him a stone. Well, think about that for a minute. I'm looking for 
bread that's going to feed me, the heavenly manna that's going to feed me for life. Well, here's the church, son. Look at this beautiful stone building with its stone walls and its stone spires. There, there's the solution to your problem, that stony building. Well, no, it isn't. The solution to your problem is the bread of life, which is the word of Yah. Or if he asks for a fish, which is the understanding of the balance between the two, the Old Testament concealed, revealed, the New Testament concealed in either one, he's asking for this fish. Who's going to give him a serpent? I'll tell you who's going to give him a serpent. Rome is going to give him a serpent. Moshe is going to give him a serpent. Here, look at this brass serpent on the pole. Here, we'll put the, uh, 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 what's it called? The Ouroboros. We'll put the Ouroboros up behind the, behind the cross. We'll give you a serpent. We'll give you a serpent head. You can follow the cult of the serpent. Well, no, that's not what Yah would give you. Your father in heaven will give good things to him that asks. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, even do ye so unto them. The golden rule right here, right? The golden rule. Now, this golden rule is a better rule than the libertarian concept is. Do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt someone else. No, that concept, once again, positivist law, which really has no meaning. Compare that with negativist law. Do, therefore, unto men that you would have men do to you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's a very strong teaching. It's a very good teaching. and gives you, an, obviously, a chance to introspect. For this is the Torah and the prophets. Oh, well, this is kind of the summary. Here's the summary of the Torah and the prophets. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the Torah and the prophets. Enter ye in at the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. So, I mean, you know, look, if you're going to a mega church, that in, a, in and of itself should be an indication that something's wrong. Right? We've got 22,000 people at our church. Well, that's kind of looking like the broad way, right? That's the wide gate and the broad way. If everybody is there finding it, something's wrong. Because narrow is the gate and troublesome is the way which leads to life. And few there be that find it. Now, I talked about this a little bit. I don't remember when. Maybe it was on the dig we talked about it. But I was comparing life to a bowling alley. And, you know, if you have a set of pins that are down there in that little spot, you got your 10 pins down there. If you put up a bowling alley and the lane is 20 feet wide, you can throw the ball anywhere on that lane. Uh, yeah, well, you, you may or may not be able to hit the pins. But one thing about it, you're not going in the gutter because the lane's 20 feet wide. But the more you narrow that lane, the more correct your throw has to be. The more correct it has to be. And we also, I also compared it to a snooker table. You know, when you have a snooker table like you have in Britain, those tables have unforgiving holes. There's no beveled corners on them. 
You either put the ball directly in the hole or it doesn't go in, period. On an American pool table, the hole is much wider and it has beveled corners. So you can be kind of sloppy and the ball is still going to go in. So an American pool player runs up against a proficient snooker player. He's going to get snookered. He's going to get taken because the snooker player is far more accurate in his shooting. It's the same thing we have here with the narrow gate. You know, life is kind of like a bowling lane when you think about it, right? If you're not on the narrow path, you end up in the gutter. And that's really kind of, and you're, you end up in the gutter and you miss the mark. That's what happens. And the path that Mashiach is talking about is a very narrow path. You know, that's a bowling lane that's about one third the size of the current bowling lane. There's no room for error whatsoever. I mean, error is going to happen, but when, but narrow is the gate, troublesome is the way. Why? What is this narrowing of the path? This is what it means to be a disciple. What's a disciple? A disciple is one that comes under discipline. That's where you get the word disciple. That's where you get the word discipline. Discipline is boundaries. Boundaries placed up on the social order that we say this boundary is on this side and this boundary is on this side. And when you narrow that path to the narrow path that is righteousness, it's a very narrow path and you have high boundaries. You have a wall of fire on this side and an ocean on that side. But as difficult as that path is and as troublesome as that path is, it is the path that leads to life. It's the path that leads to life. And Yah has given us this path. He spelled it out for us. He's given it to us in his word. This is that path. Follow it. And in following it, we find life at the end of it. Few that be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. Now, of course, we know who ravens like the wolf? Benjamin, right? Benjamin ravens, ravens like the wolf. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Again, an extremely important teaching that instead of us listening to the rhetoric that we get all day long, we get it all day long, coming off the propaganda uh, stream that calls themselves the news media. They're not, they're propagandists. You get a constant stream of, this is what you should think about the world. But as my dad used to say, believe none of what you hear and only half of what you read. The truth is, is that how do you determine the quality of your leadership? You determine them by their fruits. 
So we can have, for instance, a politician stand up all day long and say, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Catholic, while they're voting for partial birth abortion. Which do you believe? Do you believe their rhetoric or do you believe their fruit? And that's how you are told to judge. By their fruits, you shall know them. Not everyone that says unto me, Adonai, Adonai, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, in the English text, we see this as Lord, Lord. And Lord, Lord could very easily be translated as Baali, Baali. Not everyone that says unto me, Baali, Baali, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Okay, quick question. What is the will of the Father? Mashiach tells us, I do nothing except that the Father tells me to do it. I say nothing except that they are the words of the Father. So what is the will of the Father? Didn't the Father appear to the whole of the house of Yasharel on the mount and give them his will face to face? What is the will of the Father in heaven that he would say, these are my commandments, do them and live in them? Many will say to me in that day, Adonai, Adonai, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name cast out devils? And in your name done many wonderful works? I can't tell you how many times I've heard this from people. Oh, I don't need to listen to your Torah nonsense, Dr. P. I don't need to listen to that at all because we've, we, we have proof that we're, we have fruit that proves that we're the children of Yah. But what's the fruit? We've cast out demons. We've healed. We have healings going on at our church and the casting out of demons. And we all pray in tongues. You, if you judge us by our fruits, you shall see that we know Yah. And what does Mashiach say? You're claiming you know Yah because you've cast out demons and because you've healed in the name of Yahweh or in the name of Jesus, you've healed. And you've done many wonderful works in that name. And then Mashiach says, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Really? Didn't you just say judge them by their fruit? Our fruit is like spectacular. You know, we've got the best fruit you can imagine. We're healing and casting out demons. Nope. Get away from me. Depart from me. You're workers of iniquity. You're transgressors of the law. Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. The rain came, the floods came, the winds blew, beat upon the house, it didn't fall, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not shall be likened unto a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. 
And it came to pass when Yahshua had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Interesting stuff, huh? This Besorah. And I think when we talk about this Besorah, we see that when Yah came down, when Yah came down to speak to them, right? I'm going to go back to the Torah portion for just a minute. And let's look at 1916. It came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the shofar exceedingly loud. So that all the people in the camp trembled. And Moshe brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with Elohim. And they stood at the neither part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke. Yahweh descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the shofar sounded and waxed louder and louder, Moshe spoke. And Elohim answered him by a voice. And Elohim answered him by a voice. And Yahweh came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount. And Yahweh called Moshe up to the top of the mount. Moshe went up. And Yahweh said unto Moshe, go down and charge the people lest they break through unto El Yahweh to gaze and many of them perish. And let the priests also which come near to El Yahweh sanctify themselves lest Yahweh break forth upon them. And Moshe said unto El Yahweh, the people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for you charged the saints, set bounds about the mount and sanctify it. And Yahweh said unto him, Away, get you down. You shall come up you and Aharon with you, but let not the priests and the people break through to come up to El Yahweh, lest he break forth upon them. So Moshe went down to the people and spoke to them. And Elohim spoke all of these words, saying, I am Yahweh Eloheka which brought you out of the land of Mitzrayim, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other Elohim before me. You shall not make unto you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down yourself to them nor serve them. For I, Yahweh Eloheka, am a jealous El, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and guard my commandments. You shall not bring the name of Yahweh Eloheka to not, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless that brings his name to not. Remember the day of the Shabbat to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Shabbat of Yahweh Eloheka. In it you shall not do any work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger that is within your gates. For in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Wherefore, Yahweh blessed the day of Shabbat and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which Yahweh Elohim gives you. You shall not kill. You shall not break wedlock. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not lust after your neighbor's house. 
You shall not lust after your neighbor's woman, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is your neighbor's. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the shofar and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they were moved and stood afar off. And they said unto Moshe, speak with us and we will hear. But let not Elohim speak with us, lest we die. And Moshe said unto the people, fear not, for Elohim has come to prove you that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moshe drew near unto the thick darkness where Elohim was. And Yahweh said unto Moshe, Thus you shall say to the children of Yasharel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make me Elohai of silver, neither shall you make unto you Elohai of gold. So such is our Torah portion today. Now, I know we have more to add, but I wanted to go through this. It's an extremely important Torah portion because it is the foundation of our faith. It's the foundation of who we are. And when people try to tell you that you know, people are in a cult because you adhere to the Ten Commandments, you might want to go around your neighborhood in the U.S. and look you'll find the Ten Commandments in almost every town square. You'll find them in front of almost every capital city in the country. We used to be a nation seeking righteousness, and we found that righteousness in the Ten Devarim and in the further instruction of Yahusha. We are not to be workers of iniquity. We are not to be in transgressions of the commands of Yah. We are to be under those commands, to live under those commands, and to claim those commands as our own. Only when we accept the premise that Yah has said, thou shalt not kill, and we apply that in our own life, do we claim the fundamental right of life. You don't have the right to kill me because Yah said, you shall not kill. You do not have the right to my property because Yah said, you shall not steal. You don't have the right to destroy my marriage because Yah said you shall not break wedlock. You do not have the right to destroy my family because my children have a fundamental right to honor their mother and father. They have a fundamental right to a mother and a father. And even in the Torah portion, this Torah portion, the portion I didn't read, when Yithro comes to Moshe, Moshe, who had just brought 10 plagues upon Egypt and had walked out of Egypt with millions of people. When he did that, then Yithro comes up, his father-in-law, and it says, and Moshe did obeisance to Yithro. He bowed down to his father-in-law. Interesting that a guy who had just taken on the greatest pharaoh in the world and brought 10 plagues upon him, would then do obeisance to his father. Hmm? Interesting. And why do you see this? Because Yah's commands are perfect. They're perfect in their scope, perfect in their size. Deuteronomy 5.22 says he wrote these with his finger 
and added nothing further. And we can see that with the teaching of Mashiach, we have great clarity that you should be walking in the ways of the Father. What are the ways of the Father? These are the ways of the Father. So even if you're healing and casting out demons and doing other wonderful things, if you are not following in the ways of the Father, you're a worker of iniquity. Now, the question I'm going to raise to you guys is, how heavy is this yoke? How difficult is this burden? To love your neighbor as yourself. To love Yah with all your heart, mind, and soul. And to follow these commands. Is this a huge burden? Are you being pushed into a cult because Yah said you shall take one day in seven as rest? Is that pushing you into a cult? It isn't, is it? It's a simple, beautiful lifestyle. That what? Do these things and live in them. Not die in them, live in them. And this is what Yah has given us. A wonderful, beautiful thing. Okay. All right. So if we've got any other feedback on that, then we're going to go ahead and follow through with the people who have raised their hands here. And um, let's take a listen to some things. I have Violetta first in the queue. Violetta? Uh, hi, Violetta. Shabbat shalom to everyone. Shabbat shalom. I'm so happy to be with you guys. Um, yeah, there is very important today a Torah portion. And I have a chance last week to uh, give the comments of my Polish colleague brothers from the Polish church. Violetta, uh, <laughs> can you do me a favor? Yes. I'm getting a little, your audio is a little, can you get a little closer to your microphone so we can hear you a little better? Yes. Now it's better? Yeah, that's perfect. Okay. Last week I have a comment. I give the comments of my one preacher who talk about uh, Bible like a mirror that we should every day look at the mirror. And of course he gave the promises from the Torah that if you will, but he didn't read the first part, if you will do my commandments, but he read the second part, you will be so-and-so, you will be happy, you will, be, uh, you will have everything, right? So I only said that this is very important to know that the mirror is not broken because when you throw away one part of the mirror and you look at the one smaller pieces, your image is not right. So they kick me out from the community because I'm saying wrong things, right? Isn't um, that just the way it is? Well, you can't come to this church anymore. No, no, so, I'm not. I'm only listening what he said. Sometimes he has good preaching, so it's worthy to listen. But this time I cannot stop to give the comments. Anyway, this is only a side to what you said and about your talk teaching about uh, Ten Commandments. I have to tell you, when I visit Poland, I was in the Museum of the Water. So amazing museum, the old building, who German or Russian didn't bombard. 
And in that museum, museum, there are different type of pipe, like all pipes made with the wood, amazing thing. But through this old uh, stuff, I found it, the sewer cover with, the, with 10 commandments. Really? <laughs> yes. And I have a picture with my ex-husband with this sewer keeping up uh, to, there was 10 commandments of sewer cover. I said, this is profound, but well, it is there. It was around 18th century. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And what, uh, in what city was that? Bedgosh. <laughs> okay. Okay. So this was, is this closer to, uh, um, closer to the eastern border or the western border? Uh, actually, it's in the middle of the uh, Poland of the north, between the east and west, like in the middle. Uh, okay. Near, near the Gdansk. So yes, uh, south of Gdansk. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, this is one uh, my only like mention. Now, um, Dr. P, did you ever heard uh, what um, Yohanan teach their disciples because of uh, according gospel Luke 11 1 Yohanan teach some prayer to his disciples and I'm wondering if you found some that kind of prayer um well there are you know in in the sefer you'll see that there is uh we have Virtually every prayer that's that we could find in the text, we have inset in the text. So when you pull up the Millennium Edition, you can flip through and you'll see that the prayers are moved in uh, a half a space. So it's very easy to go through uh, the Sefer and find prayers because we've moved all the prayers in a little bit. So you can see them, you can find them. And we also, in the New Testament, we, we've also indented and moved in all the citations from the old testament so you can very quickly scan in the sefer and you can find prayers and you can find also uh you can also find the old testament citations and it gives you a very clear indication how dependent the new testament is upon the old testament go ahead violetta listen so Luke 11, 1, it says the disciples of uh, yeshua said lord teach us them to pray just as John also taught his disciples. So I'm asking about that, that you find that kind of prayer. Yeah, and I, I don't have the prayer of Yahukadin, uh, the baptizer, John the Baptist. I do not have, I do not have that prayer isolated. I don't believe, I don't believe I've seen that prayer. Um, and it may be that that prayer appears in some of the Dead Sea Scroll works. Uh, okay. And so I haven't seen, I haven't yet seen that prayer. Um, All right. This is what my again, question was. Go ahead. This is what my question was. Did you see that prayer? Yeah. And I haven't seen that prayer, but I mean, I can tell you that when we talk about the prayers, I mean, there's some very interesting prayers. You know, one of my favorite prayers is, of course, the prayer of Daniel in Daniel 9. Uh, it's an absolutely magnificent prayer that he gives. Uh, and and the prayer that he gives in Daniel 9 is one that causes the uh, causes Michael to come and visit him and say, your prayers have been heard, Daniel. And then we're going to share with you what, you know, what 
future holds. And we also see the prayer of David in uh, 1 Chronicles 29 that Mashiach would model his prayer after. Yeah. And there's and there's other very, very powerful prayers as well that are contained in scripture. But the most important thing is to see what, we, what was taught in the Besorah today, which is that your prayers should not be vain repetitions, but rather should be initial petitions. And in your initial petitions, you know, there's things that there's things that your prayers have to abide by. One is your prayer should be directed to the Father. Two, you have to recognize that his name is exalted. Three, your prayer is, is needs to be consistent with his will in both heaven and earth. And that your prayer is going to be guided by his word that you, you, you hope to receive on a daily basis. That given his word, that his word and that all of your prayers will align with the idea that he will not lead you into an evil inclination. He will not be led into an evil inclination or cast into the outer darkness. But instead, you will be part of the kingdom, the power, and the glory that will exist forever and ever and ever. So whatever your petition is that follows from these premises, your petition is going to comport with all of these concepts. This is how your petition remains on the central path because it's consistent with all of these premises. So a petition that is antithetical to his will, uh, you know, uh, dear Heavenly Father, please let me uh, win a substantial amount of money at the casino this afternoon, right? <laughs> this is, you know, this is inconsistent with his will and is not going to do anything for you, right? But, but something that is cast in your petition that is cast in you're walking on the narrow path into the kingdom. Uh, things like, Father, give me another day that I might be able to praise your name. You know, and other things like this, you'll find, you'll, you'll see that he is, he is eager to hear. And he is eager, eager to give us life and life more abundantly. But life more abundantly does not mean being cluttered up with material things. Life more abundantly means being in more meaningful relationships, the blessing of being among people you, that you love, uh, the blessing of being able to share in a spiritual family and to have Yah among you, the blessing of being indwelt by the Ruach HaKodesh, to be his hand upon the earth, to be a tool of his upon the earth and to be walking in his spirit. And these are like unbelievable blessings. I mean, there's nothing comparable to see miracles, right? Amen. Many of you have seen miracles. I know you have. Many of you have seen miracles. And when you see a miracle, is there a greater blessing than that? Yes. Amen. You know, and so these are the things that I think Yah is trying to tell us. These are some of the treasures in heaven. I mean, I, I'm doing a poor job of describing them, but these are some of the treasures in heaven that are there for us. And when we petition, Yah gives them to us with abundance. So I haven't seen the prayer of Yoletta, but if I discover it, I'll bring it out and we'll see if we can talk about it. Okay. Okay. Now, what is, um, like, uh, I was thinking when we read today the Torah portion and uh, Yeshua said that we have to build the house on the rock, not on the sand. And it's come to my mind, uh, uh, Egyptian, um, what is it called? Pyramids? 
Yes, pyramids. They are sitting on the, uh, not on the rug, but on the sand, and they survive so thousand years. So how yeah. that works? <laughs> <laughs> There's a question, right? That's a great question, Bela. And Chris, did you have an idea on that, brother? Yeah, I do, Doc. <laughs> Funny enough, um, we might say they're standing, but there sure has been a lot of destruction there. And I was wondering, <laughs> well, isn't this like the story of the pyramids, right? Yeah. I mean, yes, they are standing and they're standing strong and, uh, and, and they haven't um, walked as a building. But uh, those that built them are definitely gone. And, and uh, you know, the pharaoh didn't build them, that's for sure. Yeah, that's true. They're definitely gone. And, uh, you know, and, you know, rumor has it they got kind of wiped from the face of the earth. <laughs> um, Stephen? Yeah. I can, yeah, a little something on the pyramids over there. Yeah, they're surrounded by sand and it all looks like sand, but they are not built on sand. There's a horrific foundation underneath those things. I'd suggest somebody, you know, go check that out online. You can search that kind of thing. <clears throat> but the foundation stones, can't see them far away, but if you go there, there are some spaces around the pyramid that <clears throat> the tops of the foundation stones can be seen. Um, so John, were those, were those massive stones that were laid on the ground? Yeah, they're huge. They're, they're incredibly huge. And, uh, you know, they certainly weren't cut with copper tools. <clears throat> but I suspect <clears throat> the underneath those stones, they dug down to the bedrock. That thing is not going to move. It's not built in, on sand. And, uh, I built a camp in Vermont and I had to dig through, I don't know, two, three feet of heat, I guess, to get to the bedrock of the mountain. And I concreted my foundations to the mountain, <laughs> not on the fallen leaves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were talking so, about this last night. A friend's got some property not far from here. And he's got that, that issue. They've got about maybe 18 inches of peat. Yes, and, and then when they dig through the peat, guess what? Sand as far as they can dig. And when they get underneath the sand, clay. And well, they, Yeah, they need to drive rebar down and cement around it to have really the best foundation, probably. Yeah, yeah. Just if you're doing it yourself, maybe get a hold of somebody, consultant. But, okay. Thank yeah. you, guys. This is Thank you for that feedback, and I appreciate that, guys. And of course, you know the, these pyramids do present an interesting mystery for us. And uh, who built them? When? What happened to them? What did they signify? Why are they there? And what was the technology used to build them? I mean, these are questions we still don't have answered. Right? We still don't have it answered. And of course, you know the one that blows me away the most is the wall at Machu Picchu, because you look at that wall at Machu Picchu. And there's not an even line anywhere in there. And you're looking at it, it's like, okay, well, this wall is kind of ridiculous because it obviously was a random thing. But every scene between every rock, you can't put a hair between them. 
and there's there's no mortar holding them. They're just interlinked. Okay, great. Well, that's a pretty we, good thing. That looks I like got one, other, one other thing about Machu Picchu. I read this many years ago. There have been graves found at Machu Picchu, but none of them are male. They are all human females. I find that very suspicious when I think about Genesis 6. All I got for that. Hmm. Hmm. So you're thinking yeah, it was like, a convent up there or something, John? Yep. Uh, I mean, it it makes, now that you brought it up, makes me want to really go research that again because there's been a lot more uh, archaeological work in other people, you know, interested in Genesis 6. I think that was very strange that they found no male, at least at the time I read that material, no male graves. So what were they doing up there with a bunch of human women serving tables? Um, it sort of fits what we suspect of the Genesis record. Oh, so you're thinking that this these were human women that were sequestered by the Beni Elohim. Right. The fathering other children. That's right. Now, the, that's South America. Think about all these non-human skulls. They found there, yeah. And when you think about that, I mean, but let me finish on that wall because that wall appears to be the only way they could have built that wall is like laser cutting. And what's interesting is the wall with, with its pattern is reflected exactly in inverse on the wall on the other side. It's the exact same pattern, cut the exact same way. And so it represents a technology that's phenomenal. And the wall, of course, by being designed like that with those random lines, it has nothing upon which that can sever it. So if you have a seven point quake or an eight point quake, the wall still holds, still standing there. Very interesting technology. There's another theory about that. Um, it 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 sounds really plausible. It's not a, not the laser theory, but it's it had a process to melt, liquefy yes. the rocks, and and put them in into place, and then uh, let them cool. I guess, and they would solidify, shaping themselves to the next rocks are in it. And it may not be liquid like water liquid, but like a jello or holding. Well, like even a, even a hot lava or something kind of thing. Right. So it was it would shape and conform into where they placed it. That's hard to imagine. But it's just like pouring concrete into a form. We we do that. We do exactly that. I can shape a rock just like that if I have a form and fill it up with concrete. But it's not like they did. It's not a solid rock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, well, it's it's very interesting technology that's there. And again, we don't have the answers for yeah, it. It's awesome. But we, do have, but we do have evidence of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fascinating stuff. It well, is. thank you, thank you, Violetta, for raising uh, the issue. Very good stuff. And um, and now yeah. one, I have one question for you, Violetta. You said that the the pipes were made out of wood. The plumbing was made out of wood in this building you went into. 
Yes, it's amazing. It's amazing. They would become the stone. And they the pipe with 16th century over there because they dig around the Poland and they found that wood with the uh, hole inside, like pipe. And they put to that museum. It's amazing to watch that. Wow. Fascinating stuff. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it, Violetta. Okay. Yeah. Let's get an update from, uh, from our good friend, Alan. Alan, how is life treating you, brother? Man, it's y'all have me on fire right now. Well, y'all has me on fire, but you just knocked it out of the park today. And the word was strengthening and alive. And I, I got back from Panama. Um, I went on a 10-day island survival course to learn how to start my own fire, build my own shelter, every, rope making, everything off the land. So that was good. And no technology. Um, so it was like back on the circadian rhythm of, hey, you get up when the sun comes up. And then you go to bed when the sun goes down. It was the most beautiful experience of my life. Um, I honestly didn't want to come back to civilization after, but I guess I have a job to do with, you know, ministering and helping, <laughs> helping the cause. So, um, but yeah, like that now y'all just talked about Machu Picchu. And I think I was also told, or I know I was told Machu Picchu when I was in Panama, so y'all may be pointing me to my next spot that I'll go to. Um, so maybe Peru's up next for me. But um, yeah, just the word was so strong today and you were just hitting it out of the park. And I don't even know what I'm saying. I, I don't know well, what yeah, I'm saying. Half it, the time. It, isn't me, it isn't me hitting it out of the park. It's the word of Yah. And I'll tell you that relationship between the teaching of Mashiach uh, coming out of, the, out of the Gospels there in relation to the Ten Devarim. I mean, the two of them combined are extremely powerful because we have a very strong teaching of the way that we are to follow. When Mashiach says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, we've got, you can see it very clearly in today's teaching, what he's talking about. These are the things, this is where we're supposed to be. And this is the path we're supposed to follow. And he gives us very clear instruction. And others may claim that you're in a cult. And of course, you know, you can always point to them and say, well, I might be in a cult, but here I am on Shabbat resting. What are you doing? <laughs> right, know, right, right. And, um, you know, when I got back from Panama, I fell into a depression when I got back into Miami and all the traffic. And, you know, I'm not perfect, but I want to walk perfectly because he says, be perfect for I am perfect. Be holy, be holy, I am right. holy. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So when I got back, I fell into gluttony and I've, I've struggled with gluttony all my life. So I just want everybody to know here, like, you know, I'm, I'm still crying out. I'm still praying. Like I'm still breaking off, I guess, transgressions or uh, curses that have added on that have been added on to my life. So I, I want to just put that in the light because, you know, sin lives in the darkness and Satan wants us to keep those things, I guess, hidden. So we stay in those transgressions. But yeah, like if anybody's struggling, like I'm I'm still struggling with that sin of gluttony. It pops up sometimes and I hate it. I absolutely hate it. But we're I know Yah is working for me. I know he's breaking it off. And um, 
I'm just, my goal is to walk perfectly for he is perfect. You know, that's, um, that's a very good word, Alan, you know, and I'll tell you, when we talk about gluttony, it's a big problem in the United States because we're, you know, the food that we're given at the supermarket is so manipulated. You know, you, you walk into the supermarket and they have one GMO on top of another and the stuff looks beautiful yep. and the, the nutrition is completely gone from it. And so, you know, you're, you're, you have to pig yourself out on it to get the same nutrition, you know, that you used to get off one of those little strawberries that was actually a natural strawberry. You get these great, big, beautiful red things and you eat them. And there's no flavor in them and there's no nutrition in them. And most of the vegetables that you eat, you know, have got no nutrition in them and everything else has been robbed. It's just been, and then they can't, there's nothing you can buy that somebody doesn't want to add corn fructose to or they want to add an artificial flavoring and an artificial color. I mean, you can't get, you know, we, when you go looking at the supermarket, you're trying to find stuff that doesn't have that in it, man, you have to keep looking and looking and looking because you're not getting good food. It amazed me when, when we were in Israel, we were eating, you know, a third of what we normally eat in the States, but we were fed. We weren't hungry. Because we had nutrition, that, that we were being fed nutrition. And this is one of the things that when, you, when you're struggling with gluttony, you want to try to find, uh, you want to try to find nutritious foods to replace the foods you're eating. Man, so, so real quick, Dr. P, I, I eat super healthy. So that's not my problem. Like I eat all organic. I eat vegetables. I eat fruits. I eat meats. So back when I was a baby, I found out my parents would feed me, I would puke, and then they'd feed me some more. So even as a baby, I was used to like eat overeating, overeating, overeating. Then I got into, uh, they fed me Reese's, candy, sodas, Gatorades as like a middle school kid. And then in high school, I said, hey, can you bake something? I need to change my ways here. So... Then I got into bodybuilding, which was terrible, and um, just more and more just dominating on the food. But yeah, I eat super healthy, so it's more of like a um, a trigger, just like this. Oh, I'm always used to overeating, so I'm like just praying, 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 and it's gotten better. And yeah, so I eat super healthy. It's it's the it's my my past life. Like I yeah. know what you're saying too. They rob us of all our nutrients. They do. And so the inclination is, is to eat, 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 because you're always trying to feed the body and the body's, you know, uh, quite often it's never getting fed. You're not getting nutrition. You're not getting the nutrition. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of a big issue, but you know, to, to learn how little food the body requires is an amazing. Right. Right. Mishiach was saying, I mean, there were times when, I mean, look, you know, in Luke four, he goes for 40 days without eating or drinking. That's what it says in Luke four. And, you know, so the body can survive on very little, really very little. And we just, we, we don't know that, but, uh, but I mean, I struggle with it too. I struggle with it all the time. You know, like this one gal, she said, well, Hey, do you want a donut with your breakfast? I said, well, I never eat donuts. I just take them and put them alongside my stomach and then barathane over them so that they can, <laughs> they can have a long lasting presence 
you know, on my body, right? you know, and, uh, you know, so, you know, but it is, it is an interesting thing that we talk about struggling with that because, you know, I'm not, I'm not calling any of this behavior is sinful. I'm just saying that, that in the practice of the faith, there is a place for fasting and fasting is a good thing because to call yourself free from the demand of food, you know, like if you fast for a day or two days, if you can do a two day fast or a three day fast where it's nothing but water or fluids, you know, you do a two or three day fast, you're telling yourself and your body is getting the message. Look, my tongue does not own me. My tongue does not own me. My taste buds do not own my behavior. Yah owns my behavior, not my taste buds. Yah owns my behavior. And sometimes it's a great message for your body to hear. Although I can tell you the first time I did a five-day fast, at the end of the five-day fast, I, you know, I started eating. You have to be very careful when you start eating after after fast. You know, you eat soup. You know, you don't don't go down and have a steak you know, and a baked potato, you know, right. You want to eat soup. And, uh, but after you break a fast for five days, I felt so guilty. It's like, I broke down and ate food, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you you know what I mean? But that's how I always feel too. I get so frustrated, like four days, seven days, nine days. And I'm like, Oh, you should have went longer. And it's like, well, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you, but but let the Ruach rule, right? Let the Ruach rule in your life, not you, not your demands, whatever. We, we, we try to learn the discipline because disciplining ourselves is good for us. And if you're going to discipline yourself, the way to discipline yourself is with the fast, not something else, yeah. but with the fast. And with the fast, and so by practicing, starting to practice fasting, and you can practice what they call, you know, intermittent fasting or daily fasting, where... You don't eat for a certain hours of the day, you know, and you, you just don't. And then, you know, you have, you have a window in which you do eat. And then, so you're fasting day to day, day to day, day to day, day to day. That's and how I this, like to eat. I fast every day. That's a good practice. It's also a good practice to integrate into yeah. your life. And then every now and then you do every now and then do a longer fast, a two day fast or a three day fast. You know, they're in the Yom Kodesh, we isolated, I think, nine fasting days that are set forth in scripture. There's nine fasting days. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like I say, I'm not telling anybody that they have to do this. Uh, it is encouraged in scripture. You can see Mashiach talking about it in today's Bessera passage. When you fast, fast like this, right? So you see that kind of laid out too. And so these are all things that we could consider as part of our life, as part of our walk, as just being something that um, where we are and uh, uh, good for us, I think. Well, Alan, thank you. Thank you so much, brother. Can I ask one more question? Can I I ask one more question? Um, I didn't really ask any questions, but Exodus or Shemot 19.1, in the third month, when the children of Yasharel were gone forth out of the land of Mitzrayim, the same day, came they into the wilderness of Sinai. So does that mean that they arrived in Sinai on the third month, the 15th day of the month? Right. Okay, so my question, and I'm not trying to cause a stir on this calendar, 
how do we celebrate Shavuot on the third month, the sixth day, when apparently it says in 19.1, Israel didn't even come to Sinai until the third month, 15th day of the month. Have you looked well, at that, Dr. P? What are you trying to do? Get me confused here? No, no man. Not. I need some help on this calendar. <laughs> <laughs> I've been struggling with it, and I need help. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Well, you have to remember that. Here, let's go to the whiteboard. The struggle of the calendar is, is an issue. Okay. So, first of all, you have to keep in mind that that... When we talk about matzah, right? Right. So, so matzah is going to begin on the fifteenth day of the first month, right? First month, yes, sir. Okay, and then we're going to go how many days into the second month? Well, th this could be twenty-eight. To 30 days. Right. And not if you're on the Enoch calendar. The Enoch calendar would be a 30-day calendar. And then we're going to go into the third month, which is going to be the 15th day of the third month. Right? Okay. Okay. So if we take 15 plus 30, let's call it, that's going to be 45 days, right? Yes. Okay. And so this is 45 days. And then we go backwards. And if we go backwards here to get to 49 days, or let's call it 50 days, then we would go backwards here into this month, another five days, which is going to take us to, depending on how many days this is, this could be 28 to 30 days. Okay. So we're going to go backwards another five days. So we're either going to go to the 23rd or the 25th. So one of these days is going to be the first Sabbath. Okay. Because right. the 50-day count here, this is a 50-day count. 50-day count. So one of these days is going to be the first Sabbath. Okay, so let's say that the 23rd was the first Sabbath. Okay, so working backwards, we got 23, 22, Okay, so matzah here is going to be from the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, 21, 22. That's matzah, okay? Now, if this was, if this was in fact a Saturday, Shabbat, then this would be the first Sabbath. That's outside the scope of this because this is the 23rd day. But that is assuming that we had a 30-day month. If this was a 29-day month, 
then this number becomes 22 through 24, which means that this, that matzah started in this particular year on a Sunday and it went Sunday through Saturday. This was the first Sabbath of the year, which was also, would also be, this day would be the wave offering here. And then this would carry us through to the 15th day of the third month as Shabbat. Good gotcha. Sorry, Doc. Yeah, the, the, why, why would it be the 15th of the of, of the third month? Because it just says in the third month. Yeah, did you say it was? But it the says third? in the third month when the children of Yasharel were gone forth out of the land of Mitzrayim. So that was the 15th of that month. Does it say the 15th? Well, no, but it says we're gone. And I, I could just be assuming this, but it says comma. So in the third month, comma, when the children of Yasharel were gone forth out of the land of Mitzrayim, comma, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. So they left on the 15th. Am I just misreading that? Well, I think you're kind of putting stuff in there that's not that may not necessarily be there. So the thing okay. is, when we talk when we're talking about Shavuot again, you know, there are people who say, "Well, look, hold on a second. Yeah, there are people who say, "Well, well, I adhere to the Enoch. I adhere to the Enoch calendar, and the people that adhere to the Enoch calendar, well, they'd say, "Well, look, this month is." only 30 days and this month is only 30 days and this month is 31 days right according to the hanokian calendar and i have right. a friend that by the way wrote me about the hanokian calendar and about how in fact the dark forces in the world are adhering to the hanokian calendar exactly mm -hmm. and uh, you know you might call it the kabbalistic forces are holding to the hanokian calendar because the whole thing that Trump did and Operation Work Speed and everything is completely lined up with the Enoch calendar. However, one, wow. but but you know, Yom Kodesh sets forth a completely different calendar. Okay, Yom Kodesh sets forth a calendar that is reliant upon the the sun, the stars, and the moon. And as a consequence, uh, you know, it goes dark moon to dark moon. And you know, so in terms of understanding the calendar. All I can tell you is when I talked the calendar over with Penny, you know, at, at our uh, at Sefer Publishing Group, she says, blood shoots out of my eyes. <laughs> as soon as she starts. Yeah, uh, so I, I, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to cause any trouble. I just, I'm confused on, on how it's all working out. So I just wanted to say, yeah, I just wanted to see what y'all thought. Well, you know, I'll just, I'm going to say this about the calendar and we're going to kind of move on, Alan, but the calendar is, is kind of a difficult thing to understand because we weren't born with that. And there are people that taught that calendar. We were taught the Gregorian calendar. And as a consequence, it's kind of hard for us to adjust to that calendar. But I can tell you that the, um, once you understand the calendar, then you'll find that nature tells you what day it is. Nature tells you what time it is. Nature tells you what day it is, what day of the month it is, what month of the year it is, what time it is, a day or night. 
Nature tells you all of that. And you can, and once you know it and you understand it, you can see it and you don't need a rabbi in Jerusalem right. telling you what the day is. And you don't need to have a calendar hanging on your wall. You can look up at the moon and know exactly what day of the month it is. You can look up at the stars at, at night and tell what time it is. You can look up at the sun during the day and tell what time it is during the day. You can do all of those things just by simply understanding uh, what, you, what you're seeing, what you're seeing in the heavens. But because people have been arguing about the calendar for time immemorial, Pope Gregory comes out with his calendar and says, here you go. Let's everybody agree on this arbitrary artifice. And we'll just put this out there and then everybody can start selling, celebrating New Year's Day on the Feast of Circumcision. Uh, what? Oh, yeah. And we'll start the day in the middle of the night. How's that grab you? We'll, we'll end this argument. We'll just start the day in the middle of the night. There you go. Now it's now it's done. Well, that's crazy. Man. And, you know, the truth is, you want to know the truth is, where we really kind of lose it is when we go to the Sumerian concept of 60 seconds in a minute and 60 minutes in an hour. That's a Sumerian concept. The Bible shows you that it's done on a sundial and the day is divided up into 12 divisions. And so every day varies. The hour varies. And, when, and all of a sudden, when you realize, gee, an hour varies every day. Wow. Doesn't that give us a different perspective? So anyway, that's Thank that. Thank you so much, Dr. P and everybody. That was perfect. And I'm just glad to be back and glad to be with all you guys. Thank you so much. Glad you had such a great experience in Panama. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you again. Yep. Okay. Let's go to Vern. Vern, how are you, brother? Shabbat shalom, everyone. Shabbat shalom. I've got a couple things here that I'd like to read um, that were on a video I watched. Today. And the first one is about the way that everything is going today as it was back in that time. And this is, this is the, this is out of the book of Nazarene. And it was oh, the book of Nazarene. Yeah. When, when Messiah was being judged. And it starts out as, as to this is the Pharisees or Sadducees or whatever speaking here. As to whether this man be the Mashiach or the deliverer, such questions can only be meaningless to Rome. For even we, Yehudim, are not in accord as to who they are or what they will do. And this is Pilate's response. And this is, this is the part that I'm talking about. You are a perverse place, over-concerned with unworldly things and ensnaring yourself in your own net of goodness. You cannot even agree on the dates of your own festivals or the nature of your Elohim. In instead of heroes, you have saints, yet your saintliness makes you unsaintly. You all agree to seek the truth, but, despite, but dispute which path to follow and so get nowhere. You agree to follow your Elohim, but some say we go this way, and others say we go another. What you say today about this man 
you said yesterday about another. Your laws are a maze, which I will not attempt to negotiate. Your thoughts are devious and your hearts are an unreadable scroll. I am unfortunate in my governorship. <laughs> Today, as it was 2,000 years ago. I got to hand it to Pilot for that discussion. I mean, you got to hand it to him there. He's kind of knocking that one out of the park, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your hearts are unreadable. Yeah. And your laws are a maze, which, which I'm not getting into. And of course, you know, and, and this is so true. I mean, when you look at all this, I mean, this is, this is really such a true statement. But, you know, I'll tell you, it's a difficulty burning because, you know, when you, when you have people who are looking at these kind of concepts, right, we start to look at this stuff. Like, there's been a number of things that, you know, like we've been talking about on the dig. And there have been other people that have been digging into this stuff. You know, if you're looking at the Tim Alberino crowd, for instance, the Tom Horn crowd in this group, you know, they're digging into things and they're trying to find out what happened. What is the true history on earth, right? And what does the true history unveil? And more importantly, what is the truth in scripture? And I can tell you, when we, when we embarked, just to transliterate the names. That's all we were doing. We weren't doing anything. We weren't going to go into any kind of theological, anything else, or do, do anything else. All we were going to do was transliterate the names. When we transliterated the names, the whole world changed. It was like, what does that say again? What? What, what is going on here? And we found out that there's been obfuscation that has been done in the English translation, in the Hebrew translation, in the Greek translation, in the Latin translation. Everybody trying to wax their own agenda over the same word, right? We're, we're all looking at the same word, but how is it that you got, and this is the Lord your God, when that doesn't appear there at all? You know, and so when we see these kinds of things and we, we discover, and then, of course, you get this idea of what's going on in, in Hanok and in Jubilees, right? Because in Hanok and Jubilees, this is the calendar. Calendar is 30 days, 30 days, 31 for a 364-day calendar. Well, I can tell you that as far as I can tell in the book of Jubilees, this language was likely inserted into the book of Jubilees because you have open contradictions to the very calendar they put in at the end of chapter eight in chapter two saying, you know, you're to calculate the new moons, you're to do this, you're to do that. And then all of a sudden the moon means nothing by the time you get to chapter eight. Well, I thought you said calculate the new moons. Oh yeah. Well, the new moons are out. Here's our calendar. And the whole 30 day, 30 day, 31 day is jammed into a discrete spot in the book of Jubilees. Now, it's the same thing in the book of Hanok. When you look at the book of Hanok, you're going along and you're getting all this teaching. And then all of a sudden, here comes this, boom, here's the passage, here's the passage on the calendar that I'm teaching you is 30, 30, and 31. Again, it's in a discrete section of chapters. There's like two and a half chapters that are there. And guess what? None of those chapters are found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. 
The Dead Sea Scrolls have only like the first 20 chapters of the Book of Jubilees, and they have only the first 24 chapters of Enoch. There's no later fragments that you find here in the Ethiopian text. That stuff all appears to be like added in. So you see that, and then when you read Enoch, you find out that you have this passage written by Enoch, you have these parables, and then you have stuff that looks like it was written by Methuselah and other stuff that looks like it was written by Noah. And so the book of Enoch itself is kind of a, a combination, if you will, a combination of texts. So when you see all this, then who can agree on the, who can agree on the calendar? Right, and Pilate's talking about it. We can't agree on the calendar. You guys can't even tell. You can't even tell what day the feast is, right? You got the Essenes down to down to down a shack, screaming, "Look, we know. You know, you guys are dead wrong as to what day is Shavuot. You guys are dead wrong as to what day is Matzah." And then you have other people saying, "Oh, it's not sun; it's the moon." And then you have other people saying, oh, "It's the moon and the sun." And so all of these calendars are kind of out there. But what did Mashiach say? Know, the, know them by their fruits, right? Know them by their fruits. Well, I can tell you that there is, you can put all the calendars up in the world that you want. You can have all the argument you want. But if you have to write it down and have a piece of paper with you to remember what day the sixth month starts on, that is an algorithm and not the natural calendar. That's an algorithm that you're imposing on reality. When I tell you there is a calendar that, that comports with Genesis 1.14, it says the lesser light, the greater light, and the stars also shall be used for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. That's what it says. Now, that's pretty clear that you're talking about using the sun, the moon, and the stars to tell you what day it is, what year it is, what month it is, what season it is. It's telling you right there. And so because it tells you right there, it doesn't make any difference. You can propose a six-day week calendar or an eight-day week calendar like they did in, in back in the in you know in BC. You can propose all those things that you want. Propose them. They come and go, but you know what doesn't come and go? The dark moon and the full moon. You know what doesn't come and go? The sunrise and the sunset. You know what doesn't come and go? Winter, spring, summer, and fall. Those things don't come and go. They've been here for as long as we have recorded history. And as long as we have recorded history, there has been a calendar. And we can sit here and pretend that it doesn't exist and that we've got some artificial, arbitrary, uh, and capricious algorithm we're going to place on the top of it that's going to tell us the truth. The calendar is going to go on anyway. It's going to go on anyway. It's going to continue. And you know what's amazing to me? Any woman will tell you, because their, their bodies are obvious, their bodies work in conjunction with the pattern of the moon. It's just the way it is. A woman's body is totally in tune with the rhythm of the moon. So let's ignore that. And let's say that there's two full moons in a single month. Really? You, you, you know how much you have to ignore to ignore the calendar that's right in front of your face? And yet we have these arguments. Oh, well, we can't even agree what day the feast day is. And then we can't agree what feast we should be keeping. Should we be keeping the feast of wood? Should we be keeping the feast of this and the feast of that, and the feast of the other thing? We can't agree on any of this stuff. So finally, Pope Gregory says, I'm going to end it. 
We're going to keep the new year on the Feast of Circumcision. And we're going to convert the Feast of Saturnalia over to birthday of Christ. And we're going to take the feast day of the, the fertility rite of the goddess Ishtar and call it Easter. And the world finally says, we'll, we'll practice anything as long as it ain't the truth. Give me any holiday you want. As long as it's not the true holiday, I'll, I'll celebrate it. I'll drink to that. What celebration we got going on today? Oh, today's Valentine's Day. Today is President's Day. Today is Indianapolis 500. Today is whatever. Whatever holiday we got, give it to me. But don't give me the holy day itself. Right? So Pilate's exhaustion is totally understandable. <laughs> I can really... I can really get on board with what Pilate is saying right there, right? Really good word. Now, this book of Nazarene, this is, I know Adam Fink has been spending a lot, a lot of time on this book lately. And um, I haven't had the opportunity to read the book. Uh, and I need to take the time. I got so much reading going on right now. I can't keep up with all of it. But uh, I'm going to have to take the time to get through the book and read it. So, Vern, I'm going to leave it at that. Let's Let's just do one verse from that today, okay? From that book. That I it's from the book of Eliyahu. Oh, Eliyahu. Okay, yeah. This one says, By his word was everything made which was made, and he governs all things according to his infinite foreknowledge. Even before he created the heavens and the earth, he counseled with the hosts of heaven and planned a plan wherein the spirit of every man should have his appointed role. For the spirit of every man before Yahuwah of spirits in the beginning and received a place appointed in the family of heaven and earth. When a man fulfills his appointed role, It is according to the glorious design of Yahuwah Savos, and thus, as each one functions according to the divine plan, the work of Yahuwah is pushed forward to, towards its consummation. Yeah, that's a very good word. That's a very good word. I think it's, you know, that resonates in my heart. Uh, greatly burned because it really is true. You know, we're born into the family. We're born into the family with a specific purpose. And the idea is, is that we do that. We accomplish that purpose, whatever that purpose may be. That this is, you know, the parable of the 10 talents, if you will, we're given the talent that Yah wants us to have. And he says, I want you to accomplish this in your lifetime. We're not called to be everybody's everything. We're not called to be what the world calls us to be. We're called to be what Yah calls us to be. And if we are blessed in this life, we find what that is. That's first thing. If we're blessed in this life, we find what that is. And then if we're double blessed, if we're given the opportunity to pursue it and to do it and to realize that in our life. Yeah. It's a great word. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, Dr. thank you, Brian. Yeah, Dr. go ahead. Um, in the book of the Nasserim, 
it lists what Yo Yochanan's prayer was. Ah, okay. Can you read it for us, Catherine? I don't have it handy, but I read through the book once and I'm on my second time. So it's in there and I was amazed. And it's very similar to, uh, to Yahusha's prayer. So it's amazing. Yeah, now tell me about this book of the Nazarene. Where did they find this book? And uh, what's its history and so on? That I cannot remember. I found out about it from Adam and read it myself. And it's amazing. Well, good. Well, I'm glad we've got a couple of new texts we can find. And I'm going to look through them and see what I can find myself. And, um, and then who knows if I can publish it. Brother Doctor uh, Brother B uh, Doctor P, I yes, have Kathy, that right. book. I have that book in my hand now. So, what do you want to know about it? We want to know what the prayer of Yochanan, John the Baptist, is. Okay. Um, I'm. I, uh, do you want to know about the uh, the what is the where they get get the, this text I can read that book of Nazarene commonly translated as Nazarene or Nazarene and the book of Johannan John the enlightened of Elohim were included together in text known as gospel of Kaledi meaning wise strangers the origin of this work uh, are debated and as no or, or original manuscripts have ever been found. However, it is commonly believed that the book were preserved and passed down by Celtics believers in the 1500 after previously being saved from arson, possibly either the burning of the library of Alexandra or the Glastonbury Abbey Fire, 1184. And um, I'm going to go through this uh, and try to find that uh, prayer, and I will get back on you. Okay, excellent, Gabriella. Thank you. Thank you for that information. So we are talking about potentially a Slavic work that is a latter-day work. Is that right? Gabriella, is that right? Yes, yeah, sorry it's... about technical difficulties. Uh, no yeah, it is about the, uh, let me see. Um, yeah, it, it was being tucked away alongside a secular work known as Colbrin. However, they don't remotely share any similarities. It right. is more likely that it's passed down by a similar group of people. And, uh, and uh, yeah, the most mentions are that they, this, if in my understanding, this is found in Britain. Under Britain. Okay. All right. Outstanding. Well, outstanding. Thank right. you, Gabrielle, for the background. Let me know if you run into the prayer. And then we'll and then we want to hear it, okay? We'll do. Okay. All right. Let's go to Mark. 
Mark, how are you, brother? Hey, good. Shabbat shalom, everybody. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. You all, what a blessing it is to be in, in the midst of all this uh, midrash, whatever you want to call it. Nice to talk to you all. Um, so I wanted to say that to me, Exodus is just always so relevant, this, this journey that we all seem to be on over and over again. For me, uh, it's always the same. Nothing ever changes. It's like the sun and the moon. If you want to know when the year starts and when your feasts begin, the sun and the moon tell you exactly when that happens. It never changes. And neither does our need for Passover and matzah. And 50 days later, we all need shavuot. We all need covenant. And, and we get it over and over. It's the picture of the Exodus is so relevant to me um, that I've just always loved it. And when you tie it together with that Torah portion of Matthew, that Besorah, the circle is just complete. The covenant, the Mashiach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over and over again, they're saying the same thing. The Father, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Follow me. I'm the rock in the wilderness. I'm a pillar of fire. Yeah, the Messiah yeah, is yeah. always the same. I just, I just love it. And it's so great to mix it up with you all uh, every Shabbat. Um, and this pattern of sevens that keeps us all in tune, keeps us all together. Uh, we all feel alone sometimes, but look at us. We're all together on this exodus together. Yeah, amen, amen, Mark. You know, and I tell you, there are so many of us that do feel so alone. I mean, like as Violetta was talking about, she mentioned a couple of things to this pastor. The next thing you know, don't come back to our church. <laughs> right, right. right. And, and here we are. We're having a discussion. I mean, right now in the chat, there's a very virulent discussion going on about the calendar. And, you know, we've had... And of course, there's been a, a virulent discussion uh, uh, going on about um, not only the calendar, but also about the shape of the earth that goes on in, in this. Oh, and, you know, and, and I just want to say for those people who hold to a different shape of the earth than I do, look, I still love you. Uh, you know, don't don't think that I don't. Uh, so, you know, so don't get all uptight about it. We have we have we have our views. We have our views, you know, and um, the the thing is, is that. When, we, when we're talking about what's happening with the emergence now, we're seeing, look, Scripture is alive right now like it's never been alive. It's just alive like now. Like I mean, it's like these prophecies are just like Amen. They're in our face, you know. And as these prophecies are being realized, we're seeing some things now that are really quite acute. And I have to tell you, I mean, what I'm going to reveal on Thursday night, I think, is going to be quite revelatory. It's going to be quite revelatory because we're going to see something that is described in the book of Jasher that is part of the reason why Jasher has been kicked to the curb. It's like, do not ever publish that book because you're going to tell it. It tells a truth that Constantine did everything in his power to bury. He didn't want anybody seeing that truth at all. He wanted to bury it entirely. But now that we're coming into the end times, this truth is being discovered, is being known, it's being found out. 
And as this truth is being found out, it, I'm telling you, I've reading these passages and was shocked, absolutely shocked. And it all had to do with a cartoon that Catherine Bester sent me, Catherine Wilmot sent me. And I looked at that cartoon and went, wait a minute. And so, you know, so we're kind of looking at a different thing. I'm glad Adam is doing this thing with this book of Yahoo, the book of Netzarim and so forth. And it's a nice break from the Colburn, by the way. Um, but we've been looking at Britain's ancient history and discovering some truths that have been absolutely shocking. And now we're at a point, you know, when you have, for instance, when you have this Molech festival that took place uh, in, in uh, Birmingham in July of last year, at the Commonwealth Games, this was an overt statement by Charles, King Charles, that it's okay now to worship the bull and sacrifice your children in the public square to Molech. I mean, that was what was being said. That's what was being said. And this is kind of a paradigm that tells you that there's no way back for Charles. He's not going to come back to the faith to take the oath in May to be the head of the Anglican Church. He's, he's got no path back to the faith. He's got no path back. He is the founder of the World Economic Forum. He is the man behind the curtain telling Klaus Schwab what to say. That's him. That's Charles that's back there behind the curtain doing that. Now, Brian Schultz has been talking in the, um, in the chat here and has been talking about pointing to Trump as the Antichrist. And there is stuff on the Hanokian calendar that uh, I forget the fellow's name that uh, that did an expose on it, but Trump has had his reign as Antichrist for exactly 42 months. That was accomplished on February 2nd. He reigned for 42 months. Now, there are people who are saying, well, no, the 42 months will not be accomplished until Purim, when we arrive at Purim. Well, Purim, the rabbinical Purim is the Purim that's coming up. Not the scriptural Purim. Scriptural Purim occurs in the 12th month, not the 13th month. But because this is an intercalary month coming up, the rabbis have pushed Purim back into the 13th month. However, the 1260 days expired on February 2nd from the date of the covenant. And if you, if you count the 42 months as being 42 Daniel months, or 42 30-day months, that's 1,260 days, and that expired on February 2nd. So Trump's tenure, in my opinion, is over. And, and I do believe he was an antichrist. That's my opinion. I know some of you might are going to be very vehemently against that. But I do believe he was an antichrist. His Operation Warp Speed was very definitely a Masonic uh, techno-fascist uh, uh, attempt. He is the one that's responsible for launching the genocide that has been perpetrated against mankind since he was in office in 2020. He launched it. He allowed it. When I called him to the carpet on it in November of 2020, I said, you need to look at the Universal Declaration of Bioethics and Human Rights. He blew me off like I didn't even exist. Oh, no, I don't look at that. Don't care. He was engaged in international crimes of the highest order. And the international crimes that he was engaged in, the genocide that came at us, 
which now we know this genocide is horrendous beyond all imagination. You know, the mRNA and the luciferase and the blood clots and the this and the that. And, you know, they're, they're, you know they're, they're, the people who are in the know are saying that we're around 35 million dead now from the jab, around 35 million dead. And you could see thousands of videos of people dropping dead, just dropping dead, healthy people dropping dead. And Trump, it was the perpetrator of that. He's the perpetrator. And of course, Biden has sustained it, but so has Charles sustained it. So has Jacinda, Jacinda Ardern. So did uh, ScoMo in Australia. So did Bojo in, in Britain. And, you know, uh, part of my trip, I had to reorchestrate my trip because I couldn't fly into Europe because in order for me to land in Amsterdam, they wanted a vaccine affidavit. And at the bottom of the affidavit, it says this affidavit is being handled by the Department of Justice in Amsterdam. Which means we're going to prosecute you if your papers aren't correct. So I can't fly into Amsterdam. I can't fly into Frankfurt. I can't fly into Paris. And uh, so, you know, this is what has happened. So here we are. Now, when you look at this, I think, and I want to try to ease this argument that's going on in the chat. I do believe that there are Kabbalists that are following this Hanokian calendar, that Trump was following it explicitly. And he made the mistake, in my opinion, of following uh, Jared Kushner, who was an overt Kabbalist. You know, they went and laid on the grave of Rabbi Schneerson in order to, what do they call it, soul snatching? They laid on the grave, he and his wife laid on the grave of Rabbi Schneerson to soul snatch, which is a Kabbalistic practice. And I'll tell you something, I'm not laying on anybody's grave. I don't even like walking through a graveyard, let alone lay on somebody's grave. Right. But, but you know, Jared Kushner bought 666 Fifth Avenue, you know, in New York. And, uh, you know, I mean, they were doing things that were quite explicit. They engaged in the covenant with the many, you know, the Abrahamic peace accords and so on and so forth. I mean, all these things were all done, changing the capital to Jerusalem in violation of international law. All these things were done, but I think Trump's days have finalized. They're done. They're finished. They're over. They're through. His tenure as an antichrist is done. But remember, there have been many antichrists. In fact, if you read the word antichrist, you find it in First John and in Third John, and it says an antichrist is anyone who denies that Mashiach has come in the flesh. There's lots of people that oh, yeah. deny. But when you talk about people who rise up into false prophet or the vile horn or the king of the north, or the this or that or the other thing. Oh, you know, there's a, what are they called? The Antichrist of the Cup of Tea, I think is the name of the website and the book. That fellow has written elaborately that Charles is definitely the Antichrist. And he points to the coat of arms that Charles has, and, and it goes into very elaborate detail. And we know now that, you know, uh, Charles and his father, Philip, you know, Charles is of the bloodline of Vlad the Impaler, Dracula. That's his bloodline, and it's through Philip. And we know that Philip has fathered many, many children out of wedlock, could be as many as 20, and uh, that uh, Charles himself did not have a proper bloodline. That's why he married Diana, was to try to get a proper bloodline, uh, to try to be attached to the ancient kings. And he, nonetheless, you know, the idea that he has, that he's the Prince of Wales, the dragon, and so on and so forth, and we're seeing Charles now in a situation where he is also attempting to reign. 
He's attempting to reign over the earth. But I'm going to show, I'm going to show this on this coming Thursday, that he, in fact, is the king of the north. And that because he is the king of the north, the destruction that is coming to him is going to be unprecedented. He has no idea what's coming. And the world has no idea because the world has been taught the boogeyman from uh, people who did not have a keen understanding, like Hal Lindsey and the Masons that wrote the Left Behind series, you know, and for people to have these texts as their theology is an absolutely huge mistake. And it goes back to what Vern was saying that Pilate had said, you guys can't agree on anything. You're, you, you just, you're, your laws are a maze and you, you can't even agree on the date. You can't agree on the Messiah. You can't agree on anything. I wash my hands of your demolition. We <laughs> <laughs> call it, uh, to put all those people together, we can call it Operation Warped Seed. <laughs> Boom. Mark, give yourself a baseball bet. You just knocked <laughs> yeah. that one right out of the park. Yeah, Operation, <laughs> Operation Warp Seed. Yeah, boom. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Excuse and me, you know, sir. I found the, uh, the passage of uh, Johanan's prayer would you like to hear it yes i would gabriella by the way mark mark thank you thank you brother that was excellent go ahead gabriella yeah my apology to mark i didn't want to interrupt uh it is the book of nazarim and the enlightened ones and it's in chapter 2 uh, verse 16 in page 24 then johanan prayed thus we give thanks, O Yahuwah, with souls purified through realization of our misdeeds and Ruahot written upward to commune with you. It is by your power alone we have seen light of truth manifested and come to know the secret of your hidden name. In humility, we call you by the name of Father, because you have shown us a father's compassion and kindness, and because we know you chastise and discipline us after the manner of father, you have granted us freedom of activity that we may enjoy the blessing of life. We have been saved by the waters of your affection. We approach you as the only good and great being, asking only that we be united with you in the waters of the Ruach and never become separated from the source of life. I have this book as a PDF, uh, and if I'm able, I could share it to the chat. Yeah, that would be fantastic if you can do it. Yeah, that's very interesting, Gabriella. And also, if you have a link for the book, that would also be nice, too. That's very interesting that that prayer would talk about that, because, you know, truly, I'm not sure that the name of Yahweh is a secret and or that he has a secret name. I mean, you know, you have him telling you have him telling you uh, he tells Moses and he tells everybody else. Isaiah says it. Jeremiah says it. Moses says it. Uh, David says it, that his name is Yahweh Tzavoh. And 
What's secret about that? The idea of a secret name, you know, the 72 letter name is a congruence that is, shall we say, extra rabbinical would be a pleasant way of putting it, extra rabbinical. And I don't abide that notion that there's a 72 letter name of Yah. And uh, I think there's a four letter name of Yah. And the four letters are actually four vowels, E, A, U, and A, E, A, U, A, E, A, U, A. And he gave us that name because guess what? It's a breath, E, A, U, A. It's all vowels because it's all breath. And because the breath is the breath of life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Gabriella. I really appreciate that. Thank you. David, how are you, brother? Speak, speak. Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Such an amazing anointing today on his Shabbat. Uh, in, in, in talking about the Torah portion, uh, I get this really unction to look at uh, Ezekiel uh, 36. And uh, the 23rd verse is really a primary verse that, that really, uh, in, in, in the Sefer, it, it really... Uh, speaks to the harvest and speaks to who the harvesters are. And when it goes down to when it talks about and the heathen shall know right there on the 23rd verse, they shall know what? They're going to know the truth. They're going to know who Yahweh is. In what environment? And who are they? And who brings that to them? So we're looking at the harvesters the harvesters and so when you get down into the next verses okay now wait a minute Let, hold on just a second david let me read these two verses 22 and 23 okay okay therefore say unto the house of yasharel thus says adonai yahweh i do not this for your sakes O house of yasharel but for my holy name's sake which ye have profaned among the heathen whither ye went and I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am Yahweh, says Adonai Yahweh, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. Bingo. Amen. Great. Yeah, keep going. Hallelujah. So, you know, you can go right down through that whole covenant issue about the conversion and the, and the perfecting of, of a remnant. And then when you get down to verse... Uh, 27 that's a major verse that verse 27 he's talking well, let, me, about, let, me, let me let me read up to those let me read up to those okay okay because it's all really good <laughs> verse 24 for i will take you from among the heathen and i will gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land amen amen then then will i sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all of your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Hallelujah again. Hallelujah. A new heart also will I give you. A new ruach will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my ruach within you and cause you to at walk in my statutes. And ye shall guard my judgments and do them. Amen, amen. Now that he's talking to a chosen, a chosen, a chosen generation. Who are the heathens? Well, they're going to hear the truth. Are they going to stay heathen? 
uh-uh. They're going to be converted in the wilderness of the people with wrath poured out because it took a, a dominion. It takes dominion of authority when his word goes forth to deliver that heathen bunch, which is a massive bunch. It talks about a number that can't even be counted. It's the sands of the sea. And yeah. they, get converted, they can get converted with wrath poured out. Who does that engulf? It engulfs a, a great crowd that is the sands of the sea. How cool is that? That's just off the chart cool. Now, when yeah. we look at, let, let, let me point this out. Now, I've been shedding some tears uh, in consideration of the of the loss in Turkey and in, in Syria. Oh, yeah. Amen, and, brother. You see, when these people come out of there, they're just almost naked. And they don't even have any shoes. And the temperature is completely off the charts. And their family is perishing at the same time. And, and, and the little children that they're digging out of there is just horrendously horrible. And, and you're going, well, you know, how can I pray effectively for these people? Because old boohooing, the old boohooing, old sympathy thing, don't get it. See, we need, if we're going to pray effectively for these people, they got to come to the knowledge that these heathen come to. That the heathen come to know that Yahuwah is Elohim. That's the effective thing. Now, if we're going to have laborers in their presence, we're going to pray that the, the, the master of the harvest send laborers, more laborers. What does that mean? That's a big deal. That's a really big deal because that's going to produce a, 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 a salvation, preservation for a number that can't even be counted. But it looks like there's going to be two-thirds of mankind perishing. And if those days are not cut short, there's not going to be any flesh left. So, the, but, but, but for the elect's sake, these days will be cut short. Hallelujah. I'm just, are we there? It's so close. Yeah. It's so close, Stephen. It's so close. Praise you. It's just to be effective, to pray effectively for people that have such horrendous loss and such sadness is I know that I can't pray in a boo-hoo-hoo sympathetic way because that's not going to be effective. It's just going to join the whole bunches over there wailing and crying already. David, let me quote Mashiach. Yes, sir. I have declared your name unto them and will declare it that the love of you that is in me might be in them and I in them. Oh. Absolutely. That's the love that is he first loved us. We can't love unless he unless he gave it to us. We can't inherit anything unless we inherit it from him. And so we're pressing towards this mark that he's talking about there in Ezekiel 36. He's telling us what it is. He's telling yeah. us how big it is. And it's just tremendously large. And it's a, and he said he would cause it to happen. Well, that sure takes the, the list load off me and my ability because I know that I can't do it. And I know that if it's going to get done, it's yeah, going to be done by him. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. It can only be done by him. It can't be done by us. It can only be done by him. Absolutely. It can't be done by us. And, you know, and, and this is the thing. I mean, look, and I'll tell you, when I talk about this on Thursday, he says, I am going to come to this Rosh, to this king. And I am going to make my name known to him. I'm going to make my known, my just as he made his name known to Pharaoh. You remember the Torah portion when 
Moses goes into Pharaoh and says, I'm here to proclaim to Yahweh. Yahweh, never heard of that guy. Well, let's see if you say that after the 10 plagues, Pharaoh. Let's see if you say that after the 10 plagues that you never heard of him. Oh, they heard of him now. Have you heard of him now, Pharaoh? Yeah, we've heard of him now. And it's the same thing to the Rosh who is standing there saying, never heard of him. I know Molech. I know Baali. I know Dagon. I know Ishtar. I know Nimrod. I know Isis, Horus, Seth. Never heard of that guy, Yahweh. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. You're about to hear from him. You're about to hear his name. And it will be glorified in you, whether you like it or not. Absolutely. And he hardened her. He hardened. Yahuwah hardened his heart. He, 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 he hardened his heart till when? He hardened his heart till Pesach. Pesach is coming. Pesach is coming. The blood of the lamb is coming. It's the testimony that, that, that hides the people. It's, the, it's, it, it's, it's that time. It's the word of Yahuwah in our mouths. It's the unleavened bread that brings us to the point of that change. Hallelujah. And it's leading us into the new creation. He's called us to be. Hallelujah. So we're effective. We pray effectively because it's Yahuwah speaking through us, not us speaking in opinions. It's us. It's him telling us that he's going to cause this to happen. Stephen, you know that his name is Yahuwah. You know that you didn't get that from flesh and blood. You know that. You know, there's, there's a lot of things you absolutely know that you did not get from flesh and blood. And those are the things that, that uh, manifest him. That's what manifests him. It's that him in you that manifests. That's the, that's the, that's the goal for us all. Hallelujah. Oh, we thank you, Father, for this opportunity to share your loving word. Perfect us in love. Abayua. Perfect us and finish the work that you've begun in us. Preserve us holy, blameless, spirit, being, and body until the coming of the bridegroom in Yahushua's name. Hallelujah. Thank you for this opportunity, Stephen. Thank you, David. Uh, I got to tell you, David, what a wonderful word here today. Wonderful word. And this teaching here in Yekeskel 36, phenomenal, phenomenal what Yah is going to do and how he's going to do it. He's going to do it miraculously. I'm going to place a heart of flesh in you, a new ruach, for my name's sake, or my name shall be glorified over the heavens and the earth. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. May it happen. May we, maybe we be witnesses to it. Amen. Thank you, David. Okay. Chris, wasn't that, that was a pretty good word by David, wasn't it? Well, Doc, you know, I got I got kicked off twice because of my internet, and it was because I didn't wait for David to talk before me again. <laughs> <laughs> but wow, okay. I mean, you know, I wasn't I wasn't going to talk on this part of uh, uh, well, I still want to share, if you don't mind, the the Besorah, but you know, in in um, in this portion Heathrow um, nineteen. But I'm first going to go to Isaiah 40, verse 31. But they that wait upon Yahweh shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
and David was talking about the tears that he's been crying for the people in Turkey. Well, the point is that there's nothing that David can do about it, nor you, nor I. It's Yah's judgment and his will. And unfortunately, it's written. And what is written is going to happen. And I believe that those that wait are us that know what is written or semi-know what is written. And we just have to wait. We have to wait upon his, his aleph, his strength. Um, and then in chapter 19 of Exodus, we read these words. Ye have seen what I did unto Mitzrayim, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if he will obey my voice indeed, and if God my eth covenant, then he shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And I mean, you know, isn't that a beautiful word that we, we, we see these things, there's nothing we can do about it but pray. We pray, obviously, for the relief of the people. We pray because we have compassion, and that is only a gift that's been given to us because we have decided to seek him. And he's been, and it's been poured out, this uh, personality which Yahweh has in Yahusha, the the, um, uh, the 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 beatitudes that we read last week, uh, the attitudes of Yahusha himself, because it's not our strength; he is the Aleph. And if he's not the Aleph that carries us to the Tav, then we are nothing. So I thank you, uh, David, for that word. It's beautiful, beautiful. But what does he say in uh, the Besorah portion in, in chapter 7? And this is, this is actually something that came to me after hearing Dale Potts and... Uh, John Barr and yourself on the dig. And um, while I was reading this, it came to me that he says, seek and knock in chapter 7. But what are you seeking for and what are you knocking for? Well, I believe that's answered in the chapter beforehand in verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of Yahweh and his righteousness, or of Elohim and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now we get that evil part again, which comes forth in the prayer that you, um, that you expanded on, which expounded on, which is excellent. But here there's, a, there's, there's something that says in, in, in verse 13 of chapter 6. It says, and lead away from the evil inclination, but deliver us from the outer darkness. Well, what outer darkness is that? And I believe it's the fallen state. 
the fallen state is the outer darkness. Um, we all have it. We, we have all been born into it. Um, and then further on at verse 20, 22, it says, the light of the body is the eye, and therefore your eye be single, your whole body shall be full of light. But if your eye be evil, your whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and eth love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve Elohim and Mammon. Very interesting that he that he denotes or that he says that the serving of Yah and Mammon uh, are the two masters. And in previous discussion tonight, we've talked about the capitalism, which is maybe the mammon of today. Um, but so here we get here we get this 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 thread of the darkness. So we have to seek. We have to seek what we have to seek the light that comes through Yahusha, because the light that comes through the world is the false light. And the false light also can look like light. We know that. But it's actually extremely dark. And then on uh, chapter 7, uh, verse 15, is, is 15, 16, 15 to 20, there's, there's a few verses that are very interesting. Beware of the false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Well, there's a very interesting question. Because what are thorns and thistles but the fallen state of the world after the fall of man? Before the fall of man, there weren't any thorns nor thistles. So how can you get good fruit from something that is evil, i.e., how can you get good fruit coming from when you are rooted in the fallen state of man? It's impossible. So every good tree brings forth good fruit, but corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits, you shall know them. Well, what do we, what do we read in, in Romans 11? He says, well, we, we got to be rooted into Yahusha. He's the root. And we are the wild olive branches. But boast not against those that have been hewn off because they can be grafted back in. And so often we, we want to point fingers to a whole lot of bunch of people and so on. But the false teachers are one that the false prophets are ones that are already rooted into the false tree, the evil tree. 
that that is not born of Yah. And, um, and he's saying, well, to get out of that darkness, because theoretically everybody's born into that, we've got to seek and we've got to find the kingdom of Yah. That's the only way we can bring forth the good fruit that Yah, um, that Yahweh would love us to bring forth. Because that's the compassion that David, I think you were talking about. Is when you see this destruction, you shed tears, you moved with compassion as Yahweh was, Yahusha was moved with compassion. And that's, that's a thing that only the Aleph can give to you. It's his strength that carries us. And we just got to be patient and wait for it. And we've got to be a peculiar people. Um, and that means, like um, Violetta said, you know, we we will be cast out and we will be um, cast down and all these things happen to us. But in uh, last week, last week's um, reading, we go there and we say, and we and and we read. Um, uh, where is it now? Anyway, uh, yeah, blessed is he when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And I mean, that that just brings me back to, to, um, to Hebrews he says, um, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us hold on. <laughs> Let us hold on. So I pray that that's a, a word for everybody, just to hold on. Hold on and keep holding on. And if you feel like you're getting weary, wait. Wait and pray because he will renew your strength. He will, he will give you the strength. He is the strength. There is no strength within you. To keep you in the walk. Never. There is no strength but his strength. Amen. So true. So true. And you know, when we talk about this, you know, we talk about what happened in Syria and Turkey. You know, what most people don't know is that, you know, right there where the Anatolian Peninsula joined Syria. You know, it's kind of like this, right? And it's going like this. And that's right where Antioch is, you know, and the um, that where that happened immediately to the south of Antioch there is a military base called Incirclic. And this is where the United States stored 50 nuclear missiles. And this 50 nuclear missiles was these were the missiles that almost caused the Cuban Missile Crisis. Well, they did cause the Cuban Missile Crisis. We originally tried to install them in Turkey. And Khrushchev said, well, then we're putting missiles in Cuba. And then we almost came to nuclear war. But after the Soviet Union fell, we went ahead and installed 50 of these missiles in Turkey. And this was kind of, if you will, the backup punch that the United States has been relying upon, that we're gonna use these 
um, you know, in the event that everything else fails, we'll use these 50 missiles to take out Russia. And Yah just took out those missiles. He just destroyed the ability of those missiles to fire. And so the unfortunate thing is, is that you, you see so many peripheral dead. And I, know, I think the number is over 21,000 dead now. The, and over 7,000 buildings have collapsed. So, I mean, it's the most horrendous quake, really, in the modern epoch that anybody can remember. Now, is this the great earthquake that ultimately will come on the earth? I don't think so. I think there's going to be an even greater quake that's going to be of much greater strength and destruction. But this quake is a quake that is mentioned in scripture. And again, I'm going to talk about it on Thursday night, that this quake would be marked by everybody on the earth would see this quake and know that this is a marker. This is a marker and signifies the beginning of the end for Gog and Magog. This is the marker that signifies the beginning of the end for Gog and Magog. And this is, this is coming now very, very quickly. It's coming very, very soon to a neighborhood near you. And I mean, I have to tell you that for, for all of us, when we witness, whenever we witness the hand of Yah moving, you know, for many of us, we look at that and say, well, Yah is judging the place. But Yah's judgment is always righteous. Mm -hmm. So that when Yah is judging a place, true, there is destruction that is coming there. But there is also a greater destruction that's being prevented. There is also the destruction of the idols of, of Baal, the destruction of the idols of Molech, the destruction of the idols of Satan. These things are all being torn down and being removed. And we can't see it in the United States. But many of the idols that we have erected in this country are being torn down. They're being torn. I mean. When, you know, a lot of people have objected to, oh, they're tearing down the statue of Andrew Jackson, they're tearing down the statue of so-and-so, they're tearing down the statue of such-and-such. Such. Well, these are idols. And I don't care who they are. They're idols. And they're, you're not supposed to have an engraved image up that you're worshiping. And you go through D.C. and it's engraved images everywhere, you know. And what's amazing to me is that Trump, the only one of these statues that Trump objected to, was Albert Pike, the Satanist, the head of the Masonic Lodge, the one who introduced the Italian mafia to the United States, Albert Pike, the Luciferian. And that's the only one that Trump is worried about, was Albert Pike? Really? The one who wrote uh, Morals and Dogma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so here we are, we're seeing, we're seeing these things that are taking place, and the idols are coming down. They're falling apart. They're being defunded. They're being eliminated. They're being wiped out. And so because this is happening, you can look and say, gee, well, that was so-and-so that did that or such and such. But it is the judgment of Yah that these things should not continue at all. And now we're going to see it. Now, again, this marker, this quake is a very big marker. It signifies the beginning of the end for Gog and Magog. And Gog and Magog, I think, are going to be shocked who they actually are. They're going to be shocked who they are. And so when this comes, we have to, we, we have to keep in mind that there's a, very, there's a very peculiar passage that appears in the Gospels. Okay. Let me go to my search engine here and uh, see if I can find this. 
Well, let me see if that will come out. Uh, see, I think I need to have an apostrophe in there. Uh, nope, that's not going to come up either. All right. I guess I'm not going to find it. But it's the, it's the passage where Mashiach says to them, well, because of your faith and not because of your race, you are Yashareli indeed. You are Yashareli indeed. And we need to premise our understanding as who is the Yasharel? It is by your faith you are justified. It is by your faith that you are justified. And you are, and if you hold this faith, you are Yasharevi indeed. And if you're Yasharevi indeed, now reread the scriptures and see what's going on. Reread them and see what's going on. And we're going to we're going to find that there is some very interesting information that's on the street now. Very interesting. So thank you, Chris. I want to thank you, brother. Thank you for bringing us that word. Looking forward to seeing you guys in South Africa, just to let you know. Really looking forward to that. Both Stephanie well, Doc, the, the excitement is mounting here, so it's gonna. I, I believe, I believe, yeah, is gonna move, and and uh, we can't wait as well. So, yeah, it's gonna be great. Greatly, greatly, greatly blessed. Okay, let's go to Catherine. Catherine Wilmot, how are you, sister? Are you there? I'm here, Stephen. First of all, I want to thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed the ministry tonight. I thought that was one of the best I've ever heard. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed it. My head's been so full of biblical history lately that it was so refreshing to have ministry about forgiveness and everything else. And I just thought tonight's ministry was lovely. Now you did mention we don't know who who built the pyramids. A wonderful thing happened tonight. If we go to Exodus 1, 11, 14, can you read that for me? Because my step is at home and I'm not at home. Well, I sure can. Thank okay, you. Okay, Exodus 1. Exodus 1 or Exodus 11? Ex Exodus 1, 11 through 14. Yes. Okay, here it is. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pithom and Ramesses. And the more they afflicted them, and the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Yasharel. And the Mitzrim made the children of Yasharel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick, and in all manner of service in the field, and all their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. Now, there we see um, the children of Yasharel building the buildings. It doesn't mention them building the pyramids. But Brian, I want to thank Brian very much. I had a quick read through what he posted tonight. I actually had to add it to um, our ARC um, list we're doing for Dr. Pigeon. Shame you nearly at 300 things to read. Is all. Hey, Ooh, you've got loads. You've got loads of work. I feel really sorry for you, Dr. P. But um, what Brian shared tonight, and I quickly read through it. I haven't absorbed a lot of it. 
what I did absorb, and I remember, you know, the lion that was built in Egypt, and then they changed it to a pharaoh's face. Um, I believe it was God inspired. What Brian shared tonight about the pyramids, it was Yah's inspiration in the pyramids. Are you going to say, Catherine, what are you talking about? Well, the pyramids is a clock of Enoch's calendar. Now, what Brian shared tonight was actually quite mind-blowing. I don't know if the children of Yasharel built the pyramids, whether it was giants in those days that were stupid enough to do Enoch's clock or whatever, or the fallen angels, or whoever built it. It was still Yah-inspired. And um, after reading what I read from what Brian shared tonight, and I just want to encourage everybody, please, please, if you've got any information, historical information, please send it to Sherry or Eileen so we can put this information for Dr. Pigeon to work through because that was absolutely amazing. And I actually quickly transferred it to our list on, on, on the ARC, Stephen, because I think it's something you need to look at very deeply. I will. It's, yeah. I'm it's actually crazy. like a seasonal clock of, of the seasons. It's a clock of, of Enoch's calendar. And it is quite mind-blowing what Brian shared. So please, um, if Sherry and Eileen, if you can put your emails up or anything. And we want everybody in this fellowship to be included. And I'm going to say that again. Anybody who comes across information that will benefit Dr. P, Sherry, myself, mm. Dale, um, Eileen, hopefully soon, Tina back again. Um, we'll go through it, see if it's worthy to just put on because great things can come out of clues because it leads you up different paths. And we've got enough information for Dr. P to write three books. <laughs> well, now I um, want to ask you a question. And I, think, and I think we should get Eileen to join in on this conversation too. I yes. think you guys will admit that when you're doing this kind of research, you're finding out a ton of stuff. Am I right? Yes. I, 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 I picked up straight away what you're going to be talking about on Thursday. Yes. Well, Eileen has been working on uh, the our, what we're calling the Sapphire Lexicon that yes. we're very close to publishing. And in her work, once again, I just set forth a, a simple task. Right? It was simple, wasn't it, Eileen? <laughs> yes. 2,000 pages later, very simple task. Yes. Uh, but in that task, it was just simply to let's take all these proper nouns and let's set them forth in a lexicon where we can see them chapter by chapter. And in doing so, she came upon an absolute ton of information that was completely new to you. Am I correct, yes. Eileen? Absolutely. Um, we have about uh, 570 names that were not, that are not 
at all referenced in the Strong's. Yeah, so this is why we've created new Sapphire numbers for these Hebrew terms that yes. we're going to be that we're going to be placing also in a concordance. So we have them in the lexicon, and we're going to have them in the concordance. So in addition to that, you became kind of an expert on what happened in Enoch. You've written summaries for all the various texts yes. up front that are also going to be appearing. So this is very good. And then Catherine, you've discovered things from doing work on the Ark. That has been mind-boggling, is it not? It changes history. Um, I'll just give you a little example. We now have a name. I won't say the name because I want you to bring it out in books in the future. But we have we now have a name of somebody who who influenced the Roman Catholic Church into worshiping Mary. We now have the numbers. Today, I found the numbers of the people that were in Druid schools. I found out where they laid the foundations for the first schools in Britain, you know, believing in the Mashiach. I've also found, um, oh, just absolutely amazing. Let me tell you one that kind of of blew my mind, right? Uh, Stephanie and I were watching uh, a film on Robert I've even found, I've found the family tree of Brutus. Yeah, That's so here name. we are. We were watching the film on Robert the Bruce, and it hadn't occurred to me, you know, when you watch Braveheart, you know, William Wallace, we, we won't sacrifice our freedom, you know, and on and on and on. He goes running around with the blue face and all this. But the fact is, all of that happened in the 1300s. Now, again, you have to, you have to see the fort, you have to see the trees for the forest, right? When you recognized it happened in the 1300s, when did Protestantism begin in Britain? 1534 and not a day before. So what, who were they fighting in the 1300s? Who were the Scots fighting? They were fighting the British army, which was the vanguard of the Roman church attempting to impose Catholicism on the Gaelic people in Scotland. That's what was going on. So Mm. so here's when you think about this. So you look at the at the holy kings, the high kings of Ireland that had established the New Jerusalem at Tara Hill. They established New Jerusalem. But I was reading an interesting passage yesterday. I was like, what happened to the kings in Ireland? What happened? And it's very clear. Yah says, I will place you in the wilderness. Excuse me. I will place you in the wilderness where you will begin to do the Torah. But then when you fall away and you no longer keep my Shabbats, I will bring you to ruin. I will bring you to nothing. So in comes St. Patrick, right? So you have, you have the, you have the rule of the Irish Kings for a thousand years practicing Shabbat. And then in comes St. Patrick and, Oh, I'm going to convert you over to Romanism and I'm going to bring in Sunday Shabbat. He brings in Sunday Shabbat at the point of the sword. When he does, the Shabbat is finally terminated in Ireland. And when it is, it goes from Edward the Bruce, the last high king of Ireland, to his brother, Robert the Bruce, and does what he can to protect the freedom to keep Shabbat in among the Gaelic people from the rise of Romanism, which was being forced at the hands of the English. Mm. And we've, yeah, even got a, mm, we've even got the date where 
the exact date where they were forced to stop Shabbat. But that's yep. also in the ark. We didn't got the exact date. I saw it. I saw it, Catherine. Yeah, yeah. I, I found that a couple of years ago, actually. And did you know? Did you know that Constantine, who claimed to be a Christian, right, never converted. He never converted until his deathbed when he was dying, and he got sick on Easter. He got sick mm. on Easter and died on Shavuot. Yeah, you know Constantine was still a pagan, and the only reason why he converted to Christianity at that time was to it was yeah to, to do with war yeah. yeah he won under the key row he he won he won battles under the sign of the key row which looks like to us like a p with an x under it the key row exactly he won a battle under the symbol of the key row which he can, which he believed was the word krestos meaning good not christos and then they mm. decided to marry everything they decided to put all religions into a hodgepodge and then they could come out and say, look, this is the true religion. It's everything. We put everything into the pot and it's all boiled down into one thing, the Roman church. Mm. And the Roman church has to be free of any faith that says we're exclusive because it's all inclusive. And that's why it became anti-Judaic. Mm. And so, yeah, it was a very, very interesting stuff. Well, Catherine, well, thank you very much, sister, for bringing this up. And I, I'm going to take a look at this now. I do think, again, I've seen a lot of explanations for uh, the pyramids, okay? And so this will be yet another explanation. Uh, but I can tell you, I've, I've asked you to research a particular document. You haven't yet been able to, to find it. I'm going to have to start looking for it as well, which is a document talking about the geometry of the pyramids. Because you have to keep in mind that, again, we're talking about some of the most ancient documents in the world. And whenever, you know, if you go out and you well, look at a physical document, hold on, just a, we got a little bit of commentary coming in from somebody. And I don't know who. It is. No, I think that's my son, Jonathan. Sorry. Okay. Uh, but if you go back and you look, if you try to go look at physical artifacts, when you look at something that's 2,000 years old, you're going to see right away, immediately, that you don't have much there. It's 2,000 years mm -hmm. old. You're looking at it, yeah. you're trying to reckoning, you're trying to get this, trying to get the truth. When you're looking at the book of Enoch, you're talking about a book that's, you know, at least 3,500 years old. Mm. So let's have yeah. some, let's have, let's keep that in mind when we're reading it, okay? Yeah, and I think also take into account with the flood and the damage that was done to the um Exactly, exactly. Because All of that has to be kept in mind. scientists don't take the the damage of the waters into account when it comes to ancient buildings some do but the ones that do are kicked to the curb or kicked in the face you know like Graham exactly. Hancock the archaeology exactly. the archaeological community wants to beat him in the face with a baseball bat I'm not kidding they just they wail on mm. him like there's no tomorrow because they don't like what he's saying and all he's mm. doing is, use, is looking at the artifacts and using simple reasoning Judge for yourself, right? But we're not mm. doing that. We've already made up our minds. Don't confuse me with facts. Mm. Okay, well, thanks, Catherine. Blessings to you. Nice. Everybody can keep our little group in prayers. That will be great that we come to truth and more knowledge. Yeah, amen.
And that so can, can all be, of you in the future can be blessed. Yeah. And and may I have may Yah give me the life to actually write this book. Hallelujah. I I I I hope so, Stephen, because I want a free copy to go in the British Library. Well, if Charles has his way, that they'll close the library before they'll ever put my, one of my books in there. Well, we'll 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 do it in the Dublin Library. How's that? <laughs> oh, they're coming over to look at the staff of Moshe. Quick, close the library. <laughs> Let's remodel the staircase. Whatever the it takes. That's why they got their major building grants for works. <laughs> yeah. I'll have people call me if they need money. I'll, I'll threaten to visit the place and we'll see if we can get a remodel going. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Stephen. That ministry okay, was yeah. beautiful tonight. Thank you. Take care, sister. Shalom. Hey. Hi, Victor. How are you? Hey, Brother Stephen. How y'all doing? Shabbat good. shalom. All right, it's good to be here. I just have a few things too. I guess the first one I'd I'd like to uh, I I'd like to pray for the assembly here. I, I know Chris and some of y'all mentioned that you know this is a lonely walk, but we're not alone, right? Um, we keep in mind that that Yah is with us and that you know um, our brothers and sisters here all together we're we're one, right? We believe in his in his name. We we hold on to his name. We're called by his name. And, and it's something peculiar, you know, like we read today where Moshe is, is uh, speaking, you know, from the breath of Yah that, that we're all peculiar people. Even in first Peter two, nine, you know, he, he declares that as well. So uh, I just want to say a quick prayer and then, and then I want to dive into to something. I just uh, had a question on uh, really quick. And so if everybody let's can, pray. yeah, let's pray. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the Shabbat. Um, thank you for my brother, uh, Stephen Pigeon and everybody around here. Um, thank you for allowing us to come together to be able to share uh, our thoughts and our hearts on, on the Torah portion and our thoughts on many things that are happening in this world. But Father, we know that you are still sifting uh, Yasharel, we know that you're still working on us. You're still wanting to purify our minds, purifying our hearts, and that our bellies may overflow with water of all the fruits of the spirit that you were to pour into us, that your word, like your word says, that in the new in the heavens, that that new wine would be poured into us. And Father, let us be reminded that we're not alone. Let us be reminded that you are our ultimate com uh, comforter. Uh, that you're our Heavenly Father. Give us the grace that we need, Father. Give us the mercy. Um, and also, Father, bless us. Remind us that we're blessed when we awaken um, with a new fresh breath air uh, that you were able to uh, send your angels to protect us uh, during the night, during the darkness, during these dark times as well, Father, where this world is just overflowing with ignorance and arrogance and pride and everything evil that the enemy is trying to pour into us, Father, we ask that you would bind that, that you would rebuke that, Father, and you would give us the authority as well to rebuke those, those evil spirits, Father, that you would also pour down from your heavens uh, everything that is good, everything that is delighting, everything that, that helps us to continue to connect with you, 
that you would send your angels to, to battle for us, Father, that we would not fight against flesh and blood, but would be reminded that we, we uh, battle against the principalities with our prayers, with the authority of the sword of your word, that we would be able to pierce through every single um, you know, angel or any uh, evil force that is trying to come against us, our families, our enemies. Uh, we pray for, for all the nations around the world. We pray for all the Yashar Elim all over the world, Father, that are holding on to your feast days, uh, that are holding on to your Shabbat, that are holding on to the testimony of Yahusha and all your commandments, Father, and that those that are even coming in, even the heathen that are hearing your word from us, that us, that we would be the light, that are seeing the light, that they would come to this truth, and that we would be as one uh, brothers and sisters in Yahusha, Yahuwah, Hamashiach. And so, Father, I pray this in your son's name, Yahusha. Amen. And amen. Uh, so, yeah, um, I just wanted to read uh, something really quick. I, I ran by Amos um, 8 and 9, and it was just a question. I was, because I still need to study it still, but in Amos 8, really quick, 1 through 3, um, it says, Thus Adonai Yahweh showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said Yahweh unto me, the end is come upon my people of Yashar El. I will not again pass by them anymore. And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, says Adonai Yahweh. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They, ca they shall cast them forth with silence. Uh, I was looking at summer fruit, and I was trying to get a reference to that as far as summer fruit. And the two, the two references I could think about was when Yahusha says, and he runs into this tree that is not bearing fruit. And I looked up what summer fruit was, and it was actually a fig tree. It could be potentially a fig tree um, that that Yah is talking about as summer fruit that is in this basket, and. Um, and even Yahusha, you know, curses that tree for it not bearing fruit. Now, um, now in Amos, when we go back to Amos, he, it appears as you read along, he's talking about the new moons. And then he's talking about uh, smiting the lintels. Um, and then he's talking about, there's like a bunch of key words where it seems like he's going from the... Um, I think he's going from like uh, from all the feast days. I think he's saying them in an order. Um, he's kind of saying them in an order from the end to the very first, which is the Pesach, right? Because, and I think the reason I come to that is because of, of the smiting of the lintel in chapter nine. In chapter nine, it reads, I saw Yahweh standing upon the altar and he said, smite the lintel of the door that the post may shake and cut them in the head, all of them. And I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that flees of them shall not flee away. And he that escapes of them shall not be delivered. Right. So before that, from eight all the way through nine, you know, Yah is, is kind of explaining something uh, into the feast days. Right. How people, how Yashar El just basically was just going through motions and things like that. Um, and that kind of reminded me, because I know I went through a phase, right, where, you know, I kind of set aside the spirit and in the truth, because this is the truth, right? The word is the truth. 
um, where, you know, all the commandments and everything are very true. And, and me trying to do in my own strength, you know, following everything. But I know that the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKadosh, has to help you to understand that even more thoroughly and more deep. Um, so I just wanted to bring that up because, you know, in the end of, of chapter 9, um, Yah even says here, he says, For lo, I will command and I will sift the house of Yashael among all nations, like as grain is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say that evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. So, um, you know, for me, it kind of, it humbles me. I hope it, you know, humbles some of us here to, to remember that the Ruach HaKodesh, and like you said, by faith, um, the same faith that Abraham, uh, you know, presented as far as believing and trusting in Yah is, is really the core of this message. I know I, I've listened to... Um, uh, what's his name uh, from Passion for Truth, um, Staley, right? Uh, there's something very powerful he, he mentioned, which is very spiritual. He says, um, when you look at the Bible, right, when you look at scripture, there's no way that we could have been able to see all these letters without the white paper behind it. And that white paper is the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, right? For us to understand the scripture and for it to pierce our hearts, for it to pierce uh, you know, our flesh to know that that the Ruach HaKodesh uh, is the only source to actually help us to fight against our, our soul, to fight against our passions, our desires, the, the, the evil flesh that we have on us. So I uh, just wanted to share that. And uh, if you had any insight about the uh, summer fruits, you know, that'd be awesome to, to share. I was wondering what that might be. I think it I think it could be a fig tree uh, or figs uh, potentially. Well, it may be now, if it's a fig tree, you have to keep in mind that you see um, quite a few passages that says, for instance, every man shall be under his own vine and his own fig tree. And when you see that, this has a particular meaning because of what it says in Isaiah 11.1. 1. Isaiah 11.1, 1, you know, I see a stem that grows out of the vine, you know, a stem that grows out of the root of Jesse, right? And this, and Mashiach says, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? right so right. you see that, so when we're talking about the vine and the fig tree, the vine on one hand is you're talking about a kingdom, a government, a lineage, a generation. Uh, and, but the fig tree on the other hand is the theology. So when you're talking about the summer fruit, what he's talking about here is he's talking about all the various gods that are being worshipped. That's what he's talking about. He's thought when he's talking about the summer fruit, the end has come upon my people. He says a basket of summer fruit. In other words, here is a basket, and this basket contains different kinds of fruit. Wow. Now he's going to make reference to this when you get down to the end of the passage, wow. down in Amos eight fourteen. Okay. They that swear by the sin of Shamron yeah. and say, Your Elohim, O Dan, lives. Well, you remember that, that Dan, at least at the end of Judges, appear to be the sons of Belial. They're right. the sons of Belial, right? And your Elohim, O Dan, lives. Who's this? Baali, the manner of Beersheba, lives. 
even they shall fall and never rise up again. Because you have a basket of summer fruit. Who's the basket of summer fruit? Molech, Dagon, Ishtar, Nimrod, Isis, Seth, Horus, Mary, Diana, Artemis, on and on the list goes. Apollo, of you know, Jupiter. You have all of these gods that are the summer fruit. And here you can see it at the end. You're talking about these guys have got a whole bunch of gods they're swearing by. Right. And this is what is. So what has happened is, the behold a basket of summer fruit. Mm -hmm. What do you see? I see a basket of summer fruit. What is this? This is the fruit has grown and has now reached ripeness and has been picked. So the these other religions, these other gods have been raised up into full ripeness in the community. And right. so and so this is why, and look, this is going on in Israel right now as we speak, okay? Mm. You have this LGBT God right. whose banner has superseded the Star of David in Israel. Mm. When, when they parade in Tel Aviv, do they parade under the Star of Israel, under the Star of David? No, they do not. They do not parade under the blue and white banner. They parade under the LGBT banner. That's what they parade under. That banner has superseded everything in Israel because that God has superseded Yahweh. That God. Who is that God? Who is that God that's marked by that banner? Who is it? What is his name, if you can tell? Well, I can tell you that the end has come upon my people of Yasharel, and I will not pass by them again anymore. The songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, says Adonai. There shall be many dead bodies in every place, and they shall cast them forth with silence. When will the new... And here's what they say, and this is what you see so often... But you do see it, you see it in Israel right now. When is this new moon going to be finished so that we can get back to selling? When is this Sabbath going to be over so we can get back to buying? When that stuff, you know, it's like you see with the average Christian, they walk into the church. What's the least amount of righteousness I have to do to get salvation? Give me my fire insurance, and I want to, you know, give my altar call, do the baptism, then I'm out of here. I got a lot of people to rip off. If I'm going to become a multi, if I'm going to become an oligarch, you know, right. this is the kind of thinking that goes on in the brain. They're trying to do the least, of, instead of seeking after righteousness, they're trying to do the least possible. When is this thing going to be over? When are you going to get done with this new moon festival? Can you hurry up here? Step on it a little bit. I got places to go, people to meet, things to do. Yeah, one thing I, I've learned, you know, it's very hypocritical now that you mentioned that, right? When the whole baptism and everything, they become members. And, and the next thing you, you see, which I experienced is, you know, the, the, the senior lead pastor um, begins to share new covenants that, you know, these members need to sign up to, and we need to raise, you need to raise or choose a number of money that you need to raise and put into this church. And, and because, you know, we want to do so many events and, and create so many churches around, you know, you see all these kinds of things and, and people I mean, they don't know, but they're actually, if they don't pay it, they're basically breaking a covenant, which because they're saying in their heart, I'm doing this for God. And yet they don't know that every penny must be paid, right? When it says, you know, if you do an oath or you do a promise 
to, to Yah himself, then that promise must be fulfilled. Every last penny ne needs to be paid or whatever it was, right? So, you know, looking into that, I, I like how you mentioned that. It makes a lot of sense now that we look at it. And because I looked into the dead bodies in verse three uh, in every place and it's idols. They were actually idols um, that Yashar El was erecting. And, and you know it, you know, you see it today that the world is erecting, you know, left and right. It's never ending. You know, Mike Tyson now has his own, uh, Holyfield has his own statue, you know, erected somewhere. And so uh, I think it's just sad to see, but but you're right on. I, I made some notes. Thank you for that. Yeah. You know, it's like, for instance, when you fly into Anchorage, you fly into the Ted Stevens Airport. You know, it used to be the Anchorage International Airport. Now it's Ted Stevens Airport. And you walk down there and sure enough, there's Ted Stevens sitting there in bronze on a bench. Mm. Oh, great. Well, let's worship Ted. You know, no, ain't going to happen. And, you know, Yah forbid that they ever make a statue out of me. You know, they, they're going to have a hard time finding a piece of marble big enough, but that's another story. But, but uh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, Victor. Yeah, these are very good passages and worth studying. Thank you, brother. All right, I'm going to keep moving. Let's go to Alicia. Hi, can, I, can, you, can you hear me? Yeah, hold on just a second. I just, hang on. Can you hang on just a second, Alicia? Sure. Uh, Ipa's got something he wants to add in here. Go ahead, Ipa. I was thinking you were speaking about this uh, this other God in the state of Israel, mm -hmm. the six-colored flag. Could it be Hashem? Ah, boom, boom. Boom. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I mean, you know, yeah, you know, Kalisha, can you hang for just a yeah. second? Yeah, uh-huh. Okay, thanks. So let's go into this because, you know, I put this up on, um, I put this up on uh, Thursday night as just kind of part of the PowerPoint. But we know that we have, in the Greek, we have this guy that's talked about in the book of Tobit. And if you recall, uh, the book of uh, this Asmodeus, when you when you look this up, you'll find out that this is the god of lust. It's the god of lust. Okay. But in Hebrew, they write the name like this. Okay, so now they want to tell you, oh, well, let's put some vowel sounds in this where this becomes asmadai, but that's not how it is. This is actually a-shem-dai, a-shem-dai, okay? And so it's pronounced like this. Hashem, die. And they tell you that this is the God of lust, the God of lust. Okay. So when you want to speak about this and the die part here, this means demon. So when you want to speak about the God of lust, you, know, you, you would say the Hashem die. So in Hebrew, 
that is ha Hashem Dai, Hashem Dai, Hashem Dai. And so the Masoretes said, you can no longer say Yahweh, you have to say Hashem. You can no longer say Yahweh, you have to say Hashem. Hashem, really? And so look who has been exalted. Look who now is exalted. Look whose banner flies over Israel. Boy, I'll tell you, Ipa, important point. Important point there, brother. Six flag, six colored flag. Who is the God? Who is the God of the six colored flag? Hashem Dai. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big point. Okay, Alicia. So give us the word from SoCal. <laughs> it's a beautiful day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. um, so speaking of the name, Yahweh, I was studying uh, Pharaoh Moshe and Aharon in Exodus last uh, few days ago. And I came across um, Exodus chapter six, starting in verse two. And Elohim spoke unto Moshe and said unto him, I am Yahweh. And I appeared unto El Avraham, unto El Yitzhak, and unto El Yaakov by El Shaddai. But my name was I not known to them. And I was curious what your take is on that El Shaddai. You know, it's listed throughout, but I just was wondering what you thought of that, that text. Okay, hold on. Let me see. Now, in Genesis 17, 1, it says, when Avram was 90 years old, Yahweh appeared, appeared to El Avram and said unto him, I am El Shaddai, walk before me and be perfect. And then Genesis 28, 3. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on here, sister. Well, I had to find records of the El Shaddai. <clears throat> No, it's very important. And actually, if you want to know the truth of that, I'm in the process of correcting that very passage. And I'll show you why. Because I went back and looked at that passage in Exodus. And let me see if I can, if I can pull this open. Okay, just a minute. Let's see. Hold on here. Just one second. Uh, because the passage is very interesting. And you're going to see that, and I went and looked at all the passages of everybody's text on this passage. This is Exodus uh, 6, what? 2, uh, starting at 6, 2. Okay. Now, let me see if I can, I'm going to see if I can share the screen with you guys. Uh, maybe I can, maybe I can't, but we'll, let's find out if I can. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, there it is right there. Okay. All right. Now you can see this. Okay. Yes. This is my version. 
and um, but this is the, the correction that I have made in this passage. And Elohim spoke unto El Moshe and said unto him, I am Yahweh. And I appeared unto El Abraham and unto El Yitzhak and unto El Yaakov by El Shaddai and my name Yahweh, but I was not known. Now, do you see the difference in that passage? Right. It's just I was uh, not known to them is what you took out to them. Yeah, I but was there's not. also a difference in the comma. Oh, it's in the comma. You see this? And I appeared to them unto El Yaakov and unto El Yaakov by El Shaddai and my name Yahweh. Oh, I see. But unknown. Okay. Now, let me share with you why I did that. And we'll see here when we get into Exodus 6 3, correct? Yes. Now, if you take a look here, Oh, let me share it first. Um, okay, hold on. This is getting kind of tricky here. Got to move this screen over here. Okay, there we go. And then I got to come back to us here. And then we can share eSword. Okay, here we go. Okay. Now, let me can kind of condense this just a hair so we can see the screen here. Put that in it. Pop it out here. Uh, where to go? Hello? All right, hold on. Hey, yikes, yiko, yiko, yiko. Okay, let me come back to this. Try to reduce this just a little bit so we can see it a little better. Get over there. Okay, here we are. Okay, you guys can see it now, right? Yes. Okay, so Exodus 6, 3. Okay, and so here, you know, so Yavayimer El Elohim Al Al Yitzhak Ve El Yaakov Ve El Shaddai Okay, so in El Shaddai, in El Shaddai, the Shem and the name Yahweh. Okay, so the passage reads, and I appeared to El Abraham, El Yitzhak, and El and Yaakov. Let me go back to that again. And I appeared uh, uh, to uh, to uh, and I was upon Abraham, El Yitzhak, Ve El Yaakov. <clears throat> they al as El Shaddai and the name and my name Yahweh. See, Vashemi and my name and my name Yahweh. Lo, and then they say this is not Yada, but actually we see this with this noon, which is a prefix, right? And Vav and uh, and then we see da'at, da'at, da'ati. I was not known. But there's no to them. There's no to them in that passage. There's no to them at the end of that. You see that? Yeah. And, and so the noon has another, has the noon as a prefix means I will. I will. I will and knowledge of me, right? And so lo, 
that that it was my will that they have no knowledge of me. But it's not the name, you see? Mm -hmm. So this is part of the reason why this passage, again, you have people who you, you have the average, you have the average English interpretation wanting to make sense of the passage saying, I was not known by my name to them. But first of all, there's a comma. And secondly, he, the, the and is actually connecting my name to El Shaddai. I and see. as El Shaddai and Yahweh, I had shown myself to them, but I was not known. So it's different. Okay. okay. So that's the difficulty of that passage. Okay. And you had another question. Right. No. No, that was it. It was the easy one. <laughs> easy. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Alicia. Thank you. Okay. Let's go to Felix and Melissa. How are you guys doing? Long time no see. Yeah. Great. 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 Very Heather, great. Thank you so much. Very blessed. Very blessed. Very, very blessed. Just immersing ourselves in the word like crazy. Especially with, um, and we just want to thank you, um, Dr. P, for all that you do and um, making, you know, the means and working so hard. And actually, you know, with Barashi, these books are amazing, like beyond amazing. It's been like, how can I say, like for me, the comparison I can make, it's like I'm talking for my walk and seeing um, and actually immersing myself in the word and where the docs, dots are being connected. It's like almost like the bikini, a toll nuclear uh nuclear blast it's like when it, when it go off it's like wow you know um and it was we it was it was it was well it was meant it was meant it was meant so i have to say this this morning when we started when we started when we started you talked about on that last day on that last day you brought that up and then david brought up ezekiel and he brought up about water so all these dots are like starting connect for starting to connect for Melissa and myself. It's been it's been wild, and it's been an you know there it's a, a it's been like a wild ride, but it's one of those fun rides when you go to like to Magic Mountain. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's been an awesome experience. It's been a really awesome experience. So let me just read this really quick. It's it's uh it's from um, the first book of Adam and Eve. And it, I'm just going to go for okay. chapter one. It's one through uh, one through four. And 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 I'm starting to see that when I'm reading stuff, I'm paying very attention, a lot of attention to the time and the date, like you know, the period in time. On, on this particular on this particular passage, he's talking about the third day, and that's before well before we were create. You know, Adam was created. So you know, but here we go. On the third day, Elohim planted the garden in the east of the earth, in the border of the world, eastward, beyond which, toward the sun rising, one finds nothing but water. That encompasses the whole world and reaches to the borders of heaven. And to the north of the garden, there is a sea of water, clear and pure to taste. Unlike, yes, unlike anything else, so that through the clearness thereof, one may look into the depths of the earth. And when a man washes himself it, in it, he becomes clean of the cleanliness thereof and white of its whiteness, even if he were dark. And Elohim created the sea 
of his own good pleasure, for he knew what would come of the man he would make. So that after he had left the garden, he had transgressed, he knew already beforehand, of course, because he's all-knowing, on account of this of his transgression, men should be born in the, in the earth. Among them are the righteous ones who will die and whose souls Elohim would raise on that last day. You, I mean, you knocked it out of the park on that. <laughs> and when all of them will return to their flesh and bathe in the water of the sea and repent of their sins. That connected to Ezekiel also with the cleansing of the water. And so what I'm trying to say is what's blowing my mind is because I used to have to grade papers for some of my professors. And so I got to read other people's material when they would write their, they would write their, they would write their, um, their papers. And everybody has a style. We have a style like, you know, people might write close, but still it's their own personal personal fingerprints on what they're writing. And to me, when I read this, I might as well be reading something that, you know, that is in Genesis. It's something I might as well be reading something that I can tell that it's coming from the same source. There's just a certain <laughs> to things. There's a certain, and, and um, so for me, this is just verification of how wonderful this word is. Do you have anything to, uh, to add in also? Oh, I just wanted to see if Dr. B yeah. had anything to add to Um. Excuse me one minute. Heather needs back in. Yeah, okay. I'll look for her. See if I can find her. Okay. There we go. Okay, yeah. Can I just say something about cleansing of the water? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Quickly. I just felt as if the real Kodesh was also talking about baptism. Yes. So, yeah, it's 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 a baptism. It's a, a, an eternal mikvah at the end. Now, Melissa, you were gonna you were gonna add something in here. No, I I just wanted to hear what you had to say because we we're just hearing echoes of, echoes throughout. I mean, with the with the uh, the first book of Adam and Eve, the second book, the Apocalypse of Moshe. <laughs> it yeah, the Testament of Moshe. Moshe. It's just wow so many times we just keep on hearing echoes and echoes and we can see where certain books throughout the whole torah throughout the whole half torah through the besorah they're they're proofs like mathematical proofs you know and it's just so amazing for me to look at that um and how we're when we're talking about his will we're talking about yah's plan you know, and it's so amazing. And, and, and to, to connect that all to it and what we all been talking about, where the name of Yahweh, because I always that was always one thing that wondered uh, that I wondered about when I was reading before, before I came to the name, you know, to to the name to where I got to that point, because it was I, well, what's the name? You know, they would always use G G O D or in, in some it would have G underscore D. And you're like, what? You know, and that's like really not a name. And then you start doing, you start immersing yourself into what G-O-D is. And that's, you're like, wow, okay, that's a, that's a Babylonian deity. That means fortune. 
So how can the beginning, the, the creator of the universe be called fortune? That doesn't make any sense to me. That never, you know. So there's like a lot of things that I, that I noticed that was happening that that's not the case. And the way I look at it now is that this was done on purpose. Why this was done. This was done, this was done so that we would actually, us as believers, that the believers would actually be, we'd give the adversary, the enemy, um, a handicap. The praise and the worship. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he doesn't need a handicap. We give him a handicap by not using the name. We, yeah. we, we just do it's it. So it's so true. It, it, and it's so it's, true. And then, that is what's so bad about the whole situation. And when you see that the intent was to obfuscate, 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 that you would be worshiping the serpent, that you would be worshiping the serpent seed, that you'd be worshiping the, worshiping the kingdom on earth, all to obfuscate. And then anyone who didn't do it, well, we'll just kill you. Yes. How about, how about we just burn you at the stake? <laughs> you know, and, and so, th so this was the whole premise. And so, you know, and I want to thank you guys. You guys are all courageous in your own world, you know. You're courageous in your own world. You walked out and and had the power and the conviction of the Ruach HaKodesh to be set apart. And, and, and many have walked out, many who don't speak on the Shabbat fellowship here at all, but yet they've walked out. They've walked out and they've walked out in strength and courage in, in the name, knowing what we're going to face, knowing that we may be the last ones who are persecuted on earth. But, you know, it makes no difference, really, because once we know what the truth is. Now, one thing I want to say to you about the extra scriptural books, you have to keep in mind that they're extra scriptural. Yes. And so they have not had the supervision over the text that the scriptural texts have had. So we don't know how much corruption is in them or anything else, right? And so it could, you know, a lot of that could be present. And so just keep that in mind when you're reading that. But I mean, oh, yeah. it's true that once you start exploring this, you realize that, first of all, in Judaism, they have never had the practice of you can only read these books and nothing else. That's never been the practice. If you go to Jerusalem right now, you'll see scrolls stacked up in the sky when you walk into any synagogue that are full of extra scriptural texts. And they expect that in any yeshiva, you're going to be reading that and this and that and the other thing and the other thing and all this other stuff. I mean, they read, 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 because there's nobody telling them we're going to control what you think and how much you can read. Rome, on the other hand, wants to shut it down, shut it down, shut it down. You can't read. You can't think. We'll tell you what to think. We'll tell you what to read. And we'll tell you what it means when you do read it. And you keep your mind shut and your mouth shut and you do what we tell you to do. That's a completely different perspective. And that's what Rome has imposed on the whole Western world. And they continue. When you go into college and you take Western history, what do you get? You get the history of Rome. You don't get the history of the Mayans or the Incas or, or the Aztecs or the, or the indigenous tribes on the St. Lawrence Waterway or what happened with Prince Madoc in, in Alabama or the Cherokee Nation. You don't, you don't get that's not Western history. The only thing that's Western history is what we as Rome did. And you know what, what uh, Voltaire said about history? History is nothing more than a long list of those who have accommodated themselves with the property of others. <laughs> Bingo. But that basically summarizes it, right? And yeah. so, so we're relearning. We're learning something entirely new. We're learning an entirely different history, and hopefully, in in all of this, using the standard by which is set forth in Scripture by the testimony of two or more witnesses, the matter is established that we can find the truth of what yeah. really happened and what the what the real situs of the Gospels are, 
what the real situs of the Exodus was, what the real situs of the house of Yashirah is, all of these things incredibly important. So yeah. anyway, so thanks, thanks guys. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we're leaving California, heading for sunny Florida. Hi, James. I'm Maria Isabel. How are you? Oh, Shabbat Shalom. We're fine. How are you? Very good. Very good. Shabbat Shalom to all the brethren out there, too. Um, you know, I was, uh, I study Isaiah quite a bit amongst all the others, but um, Yah wakes me up quite often in the middle of the night, like two or three in the morning. It's like, okay, wake up, go open up the scriptures and start studying. So I came across something, though, the other night I shared with Maria Isabel, something I probably read a half a million times, and I just never realized that what it is. It's a prayer. And uh, it's in Isaiah 25, verses 1 through 8. And I started reading it, which I'd like to read now. It says, Oh, Yahuwah, you are my Elohim. I exalt you. I praise your name. For you shall do a wonder, counsels of long ago, trustworthiness with truth. For you shall make a city a heap, a walled city a ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more, never to be rebuilt. Therefore, a strong people praise you, a city of the ruthless nations fear you. For you shall be a refugee to the poor, a refuge to the needy in, in his distress, a shelter of the storm, a shade from the heat. For the spirit of the ruthless is like a storm against the wall. And that reminded me of the whole of Psalm 91 right there. You subdue the noise of foreigners as heat in a dry place, as heat in the shadow of a cloud. The singing of the ruthless is subdued. And in this mountain, Yahuwah of hosts shall make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of old wines, of choice pieces with marrow, of old wines well refined. And he shall swallow up on this mountain the surface of the covering which covers all people and the veil which is spread over all nations. He shall swallow up death forever and the master Yahuwah shall wipe away tears from all faces and take away the reproach of his people from all the earth for Yahweh, Yahuwah has spoken. And that last verse reminded me of Revelation 7 and 17 and Revelation 21 and verse 4. But I had read that so many times, but that was such an inspiration. That was such a comforting prayer to read. Um, and... I just wanted to share that with everybody here today. And, um, you know, that, that was basically it. Yeah. But beautiful. That, I mean, when you talk about the, um, you know, the strong people shall glorify you, the city of the terrible nations shall fear you. Yes. Strength to the poor, strength to the needy refuge from the storm shadow from the heat. And, uh, when the blast of the terrible ones is a storm against the wall, you bring down the noise of the strangers. It's the yes. heat in the dry place, right? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yes. In this mountain shall Yahweh make unto all his people a feast. Hallelujah. He'll destroy the mountain and the face covering, the, you know, the face of death, right? Face of yes. blindness. Yes. And this is something that was in the passage today. You know, Yahweh tells Isaiah, 
These are people that have ears that cannot hear and eyes that cannot see. Yet I am going to give you, you know, the Ezekiel passage. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you a new Ruach. You're going to have ears that can hear and eyes that can see. You're going to understand. And you're going to be a people of beauty, a people of strength, a people of love, a people of kindness, a people of understanding, you know, a new people, a new blessed people. And yeah, so this is beautiful. It is beautiful, James. It's a wonderful promise that comes from Isaiah. A wonderful promise of what Yah is going to do among his people. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, thanks for bringing that, James. I really appreciate yes. it. Yes, yes. You're welcome. And I just wanted to say shalom to all and, and Yah, bless, Yah bless everybody. Blessings to you. Shabbat shalom. Okay. Okay. Uh, Vern, did you have a word you wanted to bring back to us here? And we were talking about Turkey and all that, and the prayers that they were throwing, given to to uh, to the people of Turkey. I remembered reading this, and I don't remember what book it's from, but it said, "When we pray for others, it is more important to pray for their ruach than for their illness or injury." And I yeah, find. I don't because, you know, it's more important that they live in Yah than their illness or injury. Not that we shouldn't pray for their illness or injury, but it's just more important to pray for their Ruach. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very good point to pray for their salvation and to pray for their understanding. You know, and I look at those people and it's just, you know, it is, it is heart-wrenching. And then when you see those people standing outside the building, it was like there was a picture of the guys standing there at the building. They're like, or a video, and they're okay. We need to rescue these people. And then the ground starts quaking, quaking again, and they start running. And then the building next to them completely collapses. You know, uh, you know. I mean, I don't know how you, you know, here you are. You're like, okay, this is an impossible task. We got to try to get this concrete off. Stories and stories of concrete to see if we can find people that are buried in here. And you're hearing people, you're hearing people cry out underneath the rubble. And there's no way that even 10 of you can lift up that concrete with all that rebar and everything. You can't lift it up. And you're, how do we get here? How do we do this? How do we do this? So you're trying to figure it out. And when you're doing that, you're exhausted. You're out of gas. You don't have any food. You're, you're hungry. You're tired. You're cold. But you're still going to stay there and help for as long as you can. And then the building next door collapses with another quake. And you're like, ah, you know, how much energy do I have to go back and do this again? You know? And as with any earthquake, we have them up here in Alaska quite often. As with any earthquake, once you have a big one, then you have aftershocks. Like we had a quake in 2018 up here that was a 7.3. And that was followed by a thousand aftershocks over the next 60 days. A thousand aftershocks. It's like there was an earthquake running through one or two a day after that quake, right? And stuff got shaken, you know? But um, anyway, it is a, an important point. And may salvation come to those people. And equally important, then when you ask yourself the question, when you're sitting here in a, in a country that worships Allah, what is Allah going to do about a quake? Nothing. What is Yahweh going to do about a quake? Everything. So, I mean, you know, these are huge questions for the people living in Islamic countries. 
Is Allah a God of mercy? Is he a God of mercy? Is he a, a God of thanksgiving? Is, is he any of that? No. The Quran teaches you will all be judged in hell on your knees. Well, according to the Jews, Allah and Yahweh are the same. <laughs> That's what they say. I've heard the rabbis right. say that. Well, of course, they know, don't know Yahweh. Maybe Hashem. Hashem and Allah yeah. are the same, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Let's. Thanks. Thanks, Fern. Thank you, brother, for that for that word. Ted, what have you got? Ted, be there. Oh, my apologies. Shabbat shalom, Stephen. Shabbat shalom. It's the first time I've ever spoke, so I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> but um, going back to Shemot chapter 6, uh, verse 3, um, I was seeing a thematic connection there. Uh, we are talking about uh, uh, Yahuwah revealed himself to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov as El Shaddai. And I see the somatic connection there with Yahusha in the in the Beshtarah, how he revealed himself to the children of Israel, the lost sheep, you know, and uh, I was wanting to see what you thought about that is, you know, he revealed, him, he revealed himself as Yahusha, but he was also in essence, Yahuwah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Philippians 2.11, right? And of course, what you see is this passage here is the passage that Mashiach would quote to the Pharisees when he says, look, you know, they know not, but you err because you don't know scripture. What do you mean? Well, Yah says, I am the Yahweh of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And I tell you the truth, he is not the Elohim of the dead, but of the living. Hallelujah. And they were shocked to hear this. Absolutely shocked to hear this. The, his doctrine was astounding, he said. It was kind of like the nuclear bomb that went off the Bikini Atoll to those Pharisees, right? As, as Felix would put it. And so here you are. When you look at this passage here, he says, I appeared into Abraham, Yitzhak, and into Yaakov as El Shaddai, and my name Yahweh. And so what you see there is something quite interesting because he appears to us all and he is the, he is the Yah of the living. He is the Yah of the living. Do we know his name? This is why people come to me and say, I'm worried. I'm worried. I don't have salvation. And I say, has the name Yahweh been revealed to you? Yes, it has. Well then hush. That's all the evidence you need. He didn't, he doesn't reveal his name to the terrorists. That's all the evidence you need. It's been revealed to you. End of story. I mean, it's yeah, not the end, of the, it's the end of the story in Yah's hand. It's not the end of the story in our hand, but it's the end of the story in Yah's hand that he's revealed his name to you. He knows who you are and, and, and you know who he is. And so what is eternal life? Knowing the father and the son whom he sent, right? And so that's pretty much it. Now, when you talk about Yah, Yahweh and Yahushah, you know, you have to look at Philippians 2.11. Now, I've got, I have three blogs up on this subject. If you go to the Sefer website, uh, sefer.net, go to resources and then down to the blogs and type in Philippians 2.11 in the search bar, which is at the very bottom, you'll find three blogs on this subject. 
And they're rather elaborate talking about what happened in those passages and why Yahweh is Yahusha to the glory of Yah the Father. This is an extremely important point because the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And yeah, and I was curious too, Stephen, is uh, I had heard through the, you know, there was a teaching, rabbinical teaching, basically saying, and even though that they deny it today, that, uh, that there was a duality of the headship, uh, 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 the two person headship of, of, of Yah. Uh, yeah, a duality, a duality. Yeah, I mean, the duality is, again, this is an interesting concept, because when you talk about duality in Elohim, you're talking about a, a, an idea that you have, when you talk about Yah, it's carefully described in the New Testament as a consuming fire. Consuming fire that no man can see, no man can understand, you know, occupies an infinite set of dimensions infinitely. So it's beyond our reckoning, beyond our ken, beyond our knowledge, beyond our sight, beyond our vision. But then Yahusha says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And we saw in the passage here in Isaiah 9, unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given, and his name shall be called the everlasting Father. Right? So you have this conjunction, if you will. It's called consubstantiation. That the Father and the Son were present in the beginning. Now, we understand it, and it's been given to us in Scripture as a father-son relationship. But is it really a father-son relationship? That's how it's been given to us to understand. But John tells us a better understanding. The word was made manifest. The word was manifested among you. The word tabernacled among you. The aspect of Yah's communication with mankind was manifested in the substance of Yahusha. So they're, they're indistinguishable, except that the, the father occupies something where the son doesn't. And he tells us this. When will heaven and earth pass away? This only the father knows. It's even taken, it, even the son doesn't know it, but the father knows it. So there is a distinguishing between this manifestation that we have here in, in the finite reality and the infiniteness of Yah. But like I said, I'm going to encourage you to read those blogs uh, because it's something hey, to um, understand. Hey, and, Steve, uh, can I interject something? Yeah, sure, Brad. Uh, I was just reading this in the book of Acts. It's the conversion of, of Shaul, of course. And as he's uh, coming upon Damascus, uh, he sees the light from heaven. And in the Greek, if you read in, uh, I think, verse 5, you see two words in the Greek there, and we know that from through the Septuagint, we know that these grew, uh, there's the word Kyrie and Kyrios. And Kyrios, we know that from the Septuagint, they use the word Kyrios to, as a substitution for the name of Yahweh. And if you read it in the Greek, you will see that it is, it is uh, Paul says, or Shaul at the time says, who are you, Adonai? And it says in the Sefer, it says, and Yahuwah said, I am Yahusha. Because the the word the, the Greek word Kyrios and the Greek Greek word Kyrie are mentioned in that verse. Yeah, and this is, has always been a difficulty for uh this has been a difficulty in the translation aspect of it because mm -hmm. when you look at the Septuagint, it's very clear that 
The yod heh vav has been replaced in every instance with the word kyrios. And so, and we look at it from kyrios, kyrie, and kyrion, which are three declinations of basically the same word, but they have a different apprehension or a different placement, if you will, inside of scripture. So, I mean, when you talk about this issue of Yahweh, Yahusha, uh, this is really the centrality of our faith because this is not a distinct God that came out of nowhere, that all of a sudden you have Jesus who just appeared and he's going to correct the whole New Testament. And now he's going to be the Messiah, irrespective of anything that's in the Old Testament. That's a Marcionic idea. And believe me, it's taught. It's taught. And it's taught all over the place. And, and not only is it taught, but you have some really interesting characteristics about it. Because Esau, the house of Esau, and by the way, the person who brought the Latin language to the world is a fellow called Latinus who is a direct descendant of Esau, direct descendant of Esau, they're going to tell you that his name was not Yahusha, but rather Esau, Esau, right? Only in the Latin, Esau, because truly the name, the Hebrew name Esau is not Esau at all. It's Esau, Esau. And so the Latins want to tell us that Miriam named his son, Mary named her son Esau. Right? That's what they try to tell us. And we know the Septuagint records a different record that he had the same name as Joshua. Jesus is how they call Joshua. And so and you see Jesus in the New Testament. So I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave that to, that question there, Ted. Uh, I'm going to encourage you to read those blogs and you get an idea of where we're coming from in the Sefer. And I think it'll explain a lot of this uh, more clearly to you. Okay, John Barr. Yeah, uh, Barn reminded me of something over in the Middle East when we pray for pray for the people over there. Is um, in the first Gulf War we were praying for Abraham's other children, and you know that includes the Keturah group. They scattered. There are many, many nations in the Middle East that come from <coughs> other children that are sent away with gifts. But you can always remember them in any of our prayers. They are Abraham's other children. And especially in Syria, there's a lot of refugee camps. And in southern Pakistan, that people have come out of Iraq and Iran um, because of the persecution towards their belief. Um, in uh, Yahusha. So they're, they're over there always suffering. And it's good to remember Abraham's other children's way to pray for them. Such a big deal. Thanks, yeah, that's, I mean, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, John, that um, when you talk about that, I mean, I used to, I did some work at the, uh, what's called the Athens Refugee Center, the Ark in Athens, Greece. And these were all refugees out of countries that we had bombed, you know, right. Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, all countries we had bombed. And these people were all of a sudden in the ark. And what was the business of the ark to bring them to the word of the gospel? Mm -hmm. So the, the gospel story was playing in Farsi on the TV all day long, seven, yeah. you know, seven days right. a week, you know, and this was the goal. And, you know, and I prayed for many of those people. And, uh, you know, and when you see them, I, I once put up a post of three girls that were 
being hit by American cruise missiles in Syria when, you know, we never did anything to Syria ever. Syria never did anything to us ever. They never did anything to us. And there was no act of war by Syria against the United States. Why are we bombing them with cruise missiles? You know, but here were these three girls. And remember, where did Yitzhak go to find a wife? He went up into Syria. Where did Yaakov go to find a wife? He went up into Syria. So here's these three little girls. They're all under five years old, refugees, crying their eyes out. I said, what if their name was, you know, Rivka, Leah, and Raquel? Does it mean anything to you yet? Does it mean anything to you yet? Does it mean anything to you yet? You know, I, got, I was so outraged when Trump launched that first cruise missile into Syria. It's like, what are you doing? You've got no business doing that. Why are you doing that? You know, and uh, anyway, and now we know, and, that, and, and even today, they claim that what's going on in Syria is a civil war. I mean, that's how the media put it. Though these towns were destroyed by the earthquake in Syria, where they're in the middle of a civil war. They're not in the middle of a civil war. They're in the middle of a coup d'etat that's been sponsored by the CIA to overthrow a lawfully elected president. That's what they're in the middle of. They're not in the middle of a civil war. They're in the middle of a war crime being perpetrated by the intelligence agencies of the United States. That's what they're in the middle of. And, you know, so anyway, we have a duty to speak out on that. And so I'm going to. Well, thank you, John. Thank you for reminding us. These are the children of Abraham. Amen. Okay, Murray, how are you, brother? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm having a great Shabbat today. Yeah. Being with my favorite people on earth. This has been a blessing, this this whole setup that you've you've got together here. And I just want to thank you again. And it's just amazing to have fellowship here at this depth because of Yah's word, yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. I just, I just want to encourage everybody here because he is at the door. <laughs> Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yeah, I'm expecting to see the lightning from the east from the west at any time now. Yeah. Actually, you know what I'm expecting to see, Murray? I'm expecting to see the two witnesses. Okay? Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm expe- I think we're going to see the two witnesses. I think we're going to see them in living color here in the very near future. Yeah. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Because this is the time for them to appear. Yeah, yeah, we're we we are arriving. We are arriving at, at sudden destruction. I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, coming too. And, and how do you how do you get encouraged over that? I don't. It's difficult, right? Well, you can keep in mind that there's this new nation emerging called Diagonal Land or Diagonal Land. Have you yeah. heard about this? No. There's a couple of guys in Canada. That are proposing diagonal land, which apparently is uh, uh, is an inland nation that runs from Florida to Alaska in a diagonal through Canada, right? They call it diagonal land or some diagonal land, something like this. Anyway, the Canadian government is just outraged at it. It's like, how dare you propose this? You people well, must I be white there. supremacists. I live there. <laughs> it's called Alberta. <laughs> diagonal. <laughs> <laughs> diagonal land, yeah, yeah. Well, you're part of you're part of the new nation. Alberta's part of the new nation, right? Yeah. It runs from yeah. Florida up through the central United States, up through Alberta, 
And then, of course, parts of northern British Columbia, the Yukon Territory, and Alaska. Of course, the capital will probably be in Alaska, but that's another story, Mary. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fantastic, brother. All right, all right. well, listen, this has been a blessing. Thank you guys for all of your contributions today. It's been a wonderful time. There's been some, I think, some beautiful scriptures shared today and some beautiful ideas. And I want to encourage everybody, let's lift one another up, edifying each other as we can. Be a good brother and a good sister to your brother and sister, right? Show love and kindness. Treat your neighbor as you would have yourself be treated. Let's bring kindness into the world and a gentleness of shalom, eh? a gentleness of shalom. So with that, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll call this a Shabbat. So because the Heavenly Father, we give thank you. Thank you, Father, for this day. Papa, it was been, it's been so wonderful and so beautiful that we've had this time together. We pray you will bless us this upcoming week. Keep us under your wings. Keep us safe. We can join together next week for, the, uh, for another fellowship under your name. May we be your children and you be our Elohim in all things. And may your name be glorified here on this earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things today in the name of Yahusha, lifting in a single person to you. Be the breath of the Ruach HaKodesh. Hallelujah. And amen. Shabbat shalom. 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 Shabbat shalom.